Welcome back to Star Wars Escape Pod and another episode in 2024. This is the second episode of 2024. So happy new year, everybody. Uh, only last week did we have Francis in for a chat about the Star Wars books that we've all read in the past. And it was a great conversation. So, you know, if you're looking to uh, hear our, our good, the bad and the ugly for Star Wars books, make sure you check that one out. Uh, this week, we are focused in on a little more on the comic book side. Uh, how the Dark Horse saved Star Wars. Yeah, that's right. Uh, that we're talking about the dark times in the Star Wars fandom and uh, all of the content that was produced using the Star Wars IP in the in the process between the two trilogies in this entire decade plus of time that Star Wars fans had absolutely nothing but a few things. And we've got our friend Adam and Phil joining us on the podcast today for all that. So let's get into it. All right, welcome back, and uh, hello, Phil. First off, it's been a while, man, since uh, we've had you on the show. Hi, yeah, yeah, it's been a it's been a hot minute, and uh, I'm excited to be here again. Yeah, thanks for coming back on. Uh, you're you're the you're the one that people might recognize around here as uh, Dash Rendar's favorite number one fan. Uh, yeah, number one fan, exclusive fan club. Uh, <laughs> you got yeah. the card and everything. <laughs> yeah, I got the card. Yeah. If people lift up your shirt, they'll see his face on your back, right? Tattooed in there? <laughs> Correct. <laughs> All right. And uh, facilitating most of this conversation today is uh, Adam. Uh, thank you for coming back on the show, man. Thank you very much. Very happy to be back. Yeah. Thanks for coming back on. And uh, the last time that uh, people heard you was uh, just, uh, I guess, maybe... God, time goes by quick. I think it was maybe close to three months ago now when we had our uh, our Bucketheads chat. It's been three months. Holy smokes! Wow. I know it's crazy. I I, I couldn't believe it, but uh, yeah, I think I think it is close. It's get, getting to three months now. Maybe like two and a half or something. It, it was back in uh, it was back in like October or something, wasn't it? Or October or November, maybe early November. Yeah, that that sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Crazy. Oh. Um, lots of, uh, lots of people, you know, lots of Star Wars fans. Um, and, and you know, this is a, this is a conversation that we have today about something that, you know, has long sort of maybe been forgotten about by some people, but, uh, for others, uh, they might not even know a lot of this history exists and, and sort of the, what the dark times is a lot of Star Wars fans may be introduced to the franchise, you know, by that of, uh, the Clone Wars or that of the sequel trilogy or something. And, uh, might not necessarily know a whole lot about you know what came before uh, you know those same people might not even know that we 
had a, a holiday special that we did a commentary track recently. <laughs> um, Which and, apparently there's a really neat documentary, even in movie theaters, that is coming out like next week in Cineplex Odeon. Yeah, it's crazy. It. You know, you can buy it on uh, or rent it on digital right now, actually, at home. And and uh, we, we really OK, I'm going to do it because I've never seen it. And they, people are saying that this is actually going to show footage which George Lucas said was never going to see the light of day. And it's actually going to see the light of day. Apparently <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So anyone interested in watching that, um, you know, definitely it's, 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 it's available. Uh, so, uh, but, but yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of this, a lot of star Wars content coming out between, uh, what was the return of the Jedi and the Phantom Menace. I mean, there's a whole block of time in there that was just sort of a black hole. And, uh, if it wasn't for certain titles that came out, uh, to some, you know, to Star Wars fans, I mean, the the whole franchise of the series, you would have most likely kind of been forgotten about, I guess, uh, perhaps, you know, that's, that's a whole nother debate, I guess, but. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's 16 years and technically 15 years from the end of the 90, uh, correction, the 83 release of Return of the Jedi to the special editions, which were released starting in 97. And then uh, six months later, The Empire Strikes Back. And then another six months later, The Return of the Jedi Special Edition in theaters, which led into, of course, The Phantom Menace showed in 99. But that's a good 14 to 15 years in the movie theaters where there's no Star Wars product. And this is way before Star Wars was considered to be a viable B product during yeah. the network days. Remember, this was way before Netflix was thought of or the internet. The internet didn't exist, so you couldn't do webisodes. This is a you this was a the ability to use the IP to like use a comic book or a role-playing game, like Risk. I mean, I imagine wouldn't that be fun? Like Risk, you're the Empire versus the Rebel Alliance, you know? Right. That that was your extent of like the family talking about Star Wars <laughs> in a way. <laughs> so I was born in 1983, and I'm I'm prefacing this by saying this conversation we're about to enjoy is really for the Gen X and millennial audience gotcha because it's um i think star wars can be for anybody in every age but it's usually when you're sort of coming into your your eight to ten years of age that you start to uh be enthralled with movies Mm -hmm. and start to understand them you catch my drift Mm, yeah yeah Yeah. so like i probably did not see a star wars film which was shown on vhs of course uh taped by my uncle at his house probably off of a a, a network rebroadcast uh (laughs) until i was about like 10 years old so like I saw a Star Wars film for the first time around like 93. Let's just, I want you to keep 93 as a benchmark because 93 is going to be a, a important, often talked about year in this conversation. So going back to what you're saying. So it's 1983, Return of the Jedi has left the theaters and George Lucas has a company literally called like Lucasfilm. And there's little offshoots in there. And what came out of that was like Lucasfilm Publishing, LucasArts, all really sort of part of IM to create CGI, like the, the birth of it. And he utilized those companies actually at first to help get Indiana Jones to theaters. Mm-hmm. But sticking to Star Wars, there was there was nothing. Throughout the rest of the 80s, nothing. There was a meeting with Lucasfilm Publishing in 86 talking about the Star Wars IP and where can we go and does anybody have any interest? That one went nowhere. It wasn't until 1989 that the author, Timothy Zahn, was invited to a meeting and given the permission to, he first gave them a pitch with an IP of an idea of um, bringing back like Luke Skywalker as a clone. <laughs> well, and and uh, by, by nothing, course, by, by, by nothing in the 90s, you mean uh, sort of nothing sort of big, right? Because I, I guess 
Um, I, the biggest thing that I can think of was probably the, the Marvel Comics line that they did, which I don't think it was overly successful, but at least, I don't know, maybe maybe you can... Well, they actually finished They finished by 85, 85. 86, and you're probably right. thinking of the uh, the Archie Goodwin um, trade serials, gotcha. which yeah. were then compiled, funny enough, by Dark Horse later on as, a, uh, as an omnibus. But yeah, that's true. So I would say by 85, 86, there's nothing. And if you've seen yeah. that great um, Netflix show, The Toys That... The toys that made us i think is, is that what it's called hmm. yeah there's the yeah. movies that yeah. made us and there's yeah the toys that, the toys we used to play with they talk about kenner like kenner was like it's 1984 crap well there goes star wars i guess we got nothing left and they're literally they're calling george like every few months like connie uh got anything else and george was like <laughs> mm, nope uh me and uh steven are gonna do this indiana jones thing bye-bye yeah pretty much so, no more Star Wars. Yeah. So to kick this off, and I'm sure uh, a bunch of your listeners are either going to be like, what the heck's he talking about? Or they're going to be super excited. Let's uh, take ourselves to May 1st, 1991, and the release of Heir to the Empire. This is where I think the dark times end and where the term expanded universe begins. So Heir to the Empire is the first of a trilogy, which is then followed up by Dark Force Rising and finished with The Last Command, The Last Command being released in April 1st, 1993. There's that 1993 again that I said was going to come up. And these trio of books by Timothy Zahn um, expand the Star Wars universe. It takes place between five and five and a half years after the battle on Endor at Return of the Jedi. Um, Han and Leia are married. They have two kids, which are twins. Leia is pregnant with like a third. Luke is on this quest to become a full Jedi. Like to, like what does it really mean? mean to be like a Jedi Knight and a Jedi Master, but he's alone. And here we are, the introduction of Grand Admiral Thrawn, my favorite Star Wars character. <laughs> were you so, uh, were you happy with the... Um, uh, sorry to skip. To just, just while we're talking about Thrawn, your favorite character... As a side note, like, were you happy with the portrayal of Thrawn in Star Wars Rebels? Not at all. No. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Okay, I just had to no, know. I, um, yeah, and I was and I was very disappointed with his portrayal in Ahsoka. Um, I don't want to go too much into like the actor. Like, I thought it was sort of the wrong look for the actor, but that's really not the actor's fault. It's, I mean, I guess you could maybe say that the casting director sort of could have chosen a very, very slender person or you know, gallowed. I was almost thinking of like Mads Mikkelsen would have been the kind of right kind of face. Like, But the mannerisms, the behavior that they had him act, it kind of had this weird sort of arrogance. And when I read Thrawn as a character in those novels, he doesn't display arrogance. He displays confidence, military confidence. And you didn't get to see that. Maybe Ahsoka season two or whatever comes of that new IP will show some real military brilliance but there there was nothing like mm. Thrawn is supposed to be a Grand Admiral for a reason it's a very very high attainable rank to get and you got to remember he's also like if Vader is his right hand Thrawn is his left hand he he is so up there in Palpatine's empire mm -hmm. that he is revered for his military genius and I just I didn't think that Ahsoka did it the right way that's a debate we can get into right now if you want to or not but, oh yeah no I just um, yeah. I just had to it was just a side note like I just had to know like you know where, where you sat where, where, where you're where you're standing on you know the Thrawn sort of portrayal debate because uh you know I feel like everyone's got their opinion on how Thrawn has been handled so far in the canon versus how he was created for for this uh new expanded universe like what you're just about to talk about here so 
yeah. Now, Fifa would carry on. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and I, I, yeah, and I think there's also maybe why that character spoke so well to me. Um, so all of my father served in the Air Force during World War II. So the idea of like flying and aerial combat, like I was reading those scenes as they flew off of Timothy Zahn's pages, and they, they, you know, they, they hit me like right away. And um, uh, as a side note, like I, I'm an Army reservist. Like I, I, I serve in the Canadian Armed Forces. So I, and I have studied battles and stuff. So when authors, whether it's fiction or sci-fi, want to write a battle, like I, I read it, I read into it. I go, does this seem realistic or not? Timothy Zahn, by no stretch of the imagination, has any military background whatsoever, but he utilized the best resources available to him to write a character that would make a tactical decision and win a battle. And I I still reread the books every few years, and it still is like amazing fiction. Right. So at, at the end of like The Last Command, it's 1993 now, the success of those books, which were published by Bantam Spectra, the people at Lucasfilm are going, wow, we've we've got an IP here that we can make money off of. Let's let's expand this universe and spin it out to a bunch of different multimedia varieties, which of course included like video games and and comic books. So do you want to talk about the video games first or do you want to talk about the comics next? I think I think comics is probably a good one to hit as well because in 1991 uh, they released uh, uh, Dark Empire. So this kind of overlaps with that Heir to the Empire trilogy that you were just talking about. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So like I said, in that meeting of 1989, sorry, we have to go back a bit. This meeting was open to a few different sort of publishers of of media. We have to use that term media because that's really what it is. And 1986 is when Dark Horse Comics was formed. And they were very small. They they were actually considered an independent. I don't know if they're still considered an independent. I I think of them as like the third great behind DC and Marvel. But they had small titles at first. They had Alien and and, and there's some great Alien titles out there from the early 90s. Great art, really good stories and sort of take where Aliens and Predators went and they're like the first like aliens versus predator like 10 years before the avp movie even came out that's where it originated from and you got the space marines heck we probably all remember the video game where you can be a marine and you can be shooting aliens and predators or, or you can be a predator and shoot humans and aliens like that lore started with writers who were loyal and associated with dark horse comics dark horse comics was also much more sort of adult oriented like if you were to slap a pg-13 label on it that that'd be sort of that was their target audience a lot older and more mature <laughs> You gotta remember, this is also before DC Vertigo showed up. So they also had a title like The Terminator. So they pitched Lucasfilm saying, look, um, we're interested in the Star Wars. Uh, is it available? And the thing with Marvel had sort of lapsed by that point. So they sort of said, yeah, it is. So lo and behold, Heir to the Empire is released in May of 1991. Dark Horse Comics, now they're working behind the scenes because it takes months for uh, writers and artists to get pages produced for a comic. Dark Horse releases starting in December of 1991, issue one of Dark Empire. This is a key fact because Tom Veitch, who wrote Dark Empire, had to talk to Timothy Zahn to get an idea of where the characters were going to finish because Dark Empire takes place immediately after the events of The Last Command. So this is an interesting talking point where you start to have conversations from, let's use the term loosely, authors, writers of different mediums, so comics or RPGs, novels, video games, 
they have to start talking to each other mm-hmm. and they have to be getting go-aheads from Lucasfilm on characters they can create and the core characters like Luke, like they'd be like, like no, Luke will never um, uh, just kill someone. Like that's not the Jedi way. Like they, mm-hmm. these hard, fast rules, things, things that were no-goes that had to be respected from George's vision, basically. Right. So in the run-up to Dark Empire being released from December to 91 through to October 92, it took, it took more than, because it was six issues but it took a lot more than six months to finish. By that point, Dark Force Rising, the second of the Timothy Zahn trilogy novels, is released. That allows the guys at Dark Horse to make sure that they're kind of on the right track with their storyline and also allows them to prep Dark Empire Part 2, which takes place immediately at the end of Dark Empire 1, and that comes out in June of 95. Yes, several years after the October 92 date where uh, issue 6, of Dark Empire 1 finished, but not that long after the release of The Last Command. Now, I know I said a lot of dates there. If you need me to repeat anything, I can because we're, we're going to be moving backwards and forwards a lot. <laughs> but it, these, it's, these, these dates are super important because if you want to look at it from the business side, let's not look at it from the consumer side, look at it from the business side. I bet you there was some kind of vision board in some Lucasfilm office with all these like authors' names being attached to this title, the characters, and the time frame, the Star Wars time frame which at this point was always known as ABY, right? After Battle of Yavin or mm-hmm. A New Hope. <clears throat> so basically, Heir to the Empire to the Last Command is about a year's worth of fighting between the resurgent galactic empire under Grand Admiral Thrawn fighting the New Republic being led by uh, you know, Leia Organa Solo and everybody else, all our favorite Star Wars characters like uh, Luke and, and Han yeah. and, and new ones too, of course. So now that we've moved sort of to the comics, the success of Dark Empire did a few things. First off, it brought a lot of money into Dark Horse. So they actually felt confident that like they could start writing more titles, taking a chance and then making money from that and then making more and more. But people always go, well, okay, so Dark Empire comes out from 91 to 92, but Dark Empire 2 comes out in 95. Why don't they just do it right away? What what, what do they do between then? So this introduced <clears throat> the Tales of the Jedi, uh, which was an expanding legacy of comics, which ultimately legitimized Dark Horse as the Star Wars publishing authority. And this was a series of story arcs released from 93 all the way through to 98. And it included uh, a five-issue arc, literally just called Tales of the Jedi, and it introduced Jedi Knights from like 4,000 years before um, the Battle of Yavin and introduced characters like Ulic Queldroma. And if you don't know who that is, uh, you're probably too young. <laughs> you, you probably <laughs> haven't really picked up like a, a comic book, but um, I, I that actually was followed own, up by um, this, these two. I, I own a republished uh, trade paperback bound copy of the Sith Wars uh, series that they did for Tales of the Jedi. Great. So we're about, we're about to get into that. So, and this is also the start, I think it's fair enough to say, of collectible comics for Star Wars. You know, like, yes, having a Star Wars issue number one from like the original movie release back in like, I think it was brought out in April of 77 because they actually got permission to release part of the comic book series before the movie as a positive buildup to the movie. Um, so Tales of the Jedi comes out and then it's followed up by these two very, very popular, super powerfully well-written arcs. Dark Lords of the Sith, which is a six issue, and then The Sith War, another six issue. And I guess Phil can jump in here on, on the artwork if he likes this stuff or not, but... This was, um, uh, in my opinion, heavily complex storytelling, uh, very dark, very violent, like almost like not Star Wars friendly kind of violent. Like, you know, you shoot the stormtrooper, he just goes down, you don't see blood. Like this is, this is, this is violent. There's betrayal. 
Um, it sort of takes on that hero's journey. And if you want to get like Christian religious, like the Judas type of character, like lots of betrayals, uh, Jedi masters getting killed in front of their Jedi. And this, remember, this is before we've seen episode three. So nobody's had to see uh, Anakin Skywalker kill a, a 10 year old pupil in the Jedi temple yet. So, <laughs> right, like, right. and it's you almost, and it's almost interesting. You could almost say that the, the writing of those scenes in episode one, two, three, maybe he may never admit it, but George could say maybe he was inspired by the IP he had created that people then took and gave their own stories he borrowed from them as well. I'd, I'd believe but, that. I'd believe uh, that so because actually, there's been a number of times where George has taken something directly from the Dark Horse comics and just put it into his stories. Um, like Ayla Sakura is one example as well as Quinlan Voss. Yes. Yeah. Great, great character. Yeah. Yeah. So um, Dark Lords of the Sith and the Sith War I think really legitimized Star Wars as an intellectual property that can be told through comics in a serious way that would attract serious readers like older older readers because because remember these readers have matured they have seen star wars in theaters in 1983 maybe as a 10 year old so by this point they are 25 26 maybe they're married right. maybe their wife's telling them to throw out their comic books but it's also starting to build up equity like if you if you're looking at star wars as a business i haven't checked but i've got single issues of dark lords of the sith and the sith war and and i've been told that if i were to sell them as a set it'd be a thousand dollars each for 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 sure oh jeez. Like I have, I have heir to the empire issue number one single shot. It's eight hundred dollars just for the one. <laughs> That's so crazy because yes. I've been the, to the market so so crazy. Oh oh yeah, because I've been to comic book stores where I've seen sort of the original Marvel issues from from the you know from the late uh, or the early eighties uh, kind of you know in there and they're worth nothing. Like you know it's and mind you the condition of them isn't like superb, but uh, when you can buy one of those for you know like two. $56, whatever, something in there, uh, it's clearly not gained any value, even if there is some boxing around the edges. So it's crazy to me that these ones, right. which are slightly newer, but um, hold sort of a different level of importance within the Star Wars expanded universe, uh, because no one I don't think ever considers those original Marvel comics runs part of the expanded universe. They're kind of its own thing outside of the continuity of the expanded universe. So there's multiple levels of continuity. And, uh, you know, to, to, to know that those first edition Dark Horse issues are so valuable because they're the OG expanded universe content, like, that's really cool. Yeah, you bring up an interesting point about, like, I think the term, the Star Wars expanded universe, literally got coined because there was a book released by Bantam, because they, they were the publisher, in, like, 96, 97. I actually have it. I'm not staring at it right now. It's, like, in my parents' basement in my, <laughs> in my old Star Wars lore. But it was a big, it was a big book because there was also, there was a Star Wars uh, dictionary and there was a Star Wars encyclopedia. But the term in expanding universe didn't get used until like the mid nineties mm -hmm. when they had expanded the universe, when they had started to create all these characters. It's it's funny and, that um, you mentioned that exactly because um, in the, uh, and you know, people following the Twitter feed. There just wasn't enough um, written about it yet. Right. Well, and uh, you know, anyone, anyone following my, the, the, the podcast Twitter feed will, will know I just picked up the, the copy of Star Wars year by year of visual history. And uh, in September of 1994, it says that the the Star Wars, the, the Lucasfilm uh, fan club magazine was renamed as Star Wars Insider, starting with uh, issue number 23 yeah. of the fan club magazine. And on that issue, it says the Star Wars Insider debut, which is issue number 23 of Lucasfilm fan club magazine 
features an expanded universe timeline with an interview with Dennis Lawson, which who played Wedge Antilles. Um, so like, I guess yeah, right there, this was in 94, you said this was in 1994 in sort of the, yeah, I think it may be the, in, in September. It's, it says uh, September 1994 is when, is when that transition happened over yeah. to inside. So let's, yeah. so let's look at our timeline. We've already talked about by 94, you've already had, and, and let's, you know, magazines, they work like three month cycles. So it came out September. So they're already like, like I, I, I can't speak to magazines a lot, but like Vogue fashion, right? Like September is a big month for fashion. They're looking at like building, like when they build their cover, like who's going to be on it. What's the wording going to say, like the hottest bikinis or, you know, where to go suntanning. Like they're, they're coming up with that print three months before. So if they're going to say this is the expanded timeline, they're talking about like maybe May of 94, May of 94. The last command has already been out for a full year. Dark Empire's been out for years and maybe Dark Empire 2 is starting to be built up because it comes out in the next year. Mm. But by, by, by this point, Dark Lords of the Sith has already come out. So you've already had multiple chains of Star Wars IP released to the public for their viewing or reading pleasure. Right. <laughs> Along with the Jedi search by Kevin J. Anderson the previous year in January 94. Yeah. And by, and also by that point, um, Truce of Bakura had already come out and Courtship of Princess Leia had already come out. So people got to know like, oh, so wait, in Timothy Zahn, he says that Han and Leia's uh, uh, love during the movies actually became a marriage. Okay. Well, how, wait, how, wait, they're married already. They have kids. How'd they get married? You know, so these authors are filling in holes where they're allowed to. But mm -hmm. I right. think it was important that when Timothy wrote Heir to the Empire, he put it out just a few years enough to allow other people to fill the five years from the end of Return of the Jedi to Heir to the Empire. Right. So that uh, first five years know, in was, the 90s. It's an interesting then, decision. Yeah, that, that first five years in the in the 90s then is, is very important to sort of the creation, like what you're saying, of the, of the expanded universe. And uh, and then as the... Oh, absolutely. By by the time 95, it had fully exploded. That was when the video games were, were already coming out. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so... and also, I'll, we're going to talk about it in a bit, but funny enough, February 93, that's when X-Wing right, came out. Right. Not X-Wing Rogue Squadron for the N64, the X-Wing PC video game which then, of course, led to TIE Fighter and X-Wing versus TIE Fighter and et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, by 94, right. Spanny Universe is certainly like a vocabulary term that people who wanted to follow Star Wars would know. They, they would agree. They would absolutely know for sure. Gotcha. Yeah. And you can you so, can get those original X-Wing and TIE Fighter games. Like you can get those on on Steam for like a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think that's I think that's awesome because I've always wanted to play them, but I'm like I'm like, oh I'm an Apple user, shoot, I can't play and be like, no 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 man, there's like a platform agnostic way to do it. Use Steam. I'm like, oh cool, that'd be great. No, it's really fantastic to like you can get all those games so cheap and you can just go through a time capsule basically and just play those old games and it's, it's absolutely fantastic. I mean, they're, they're terrible now. But, yeah, yeah. But like going back, going back is just it's so much fun to like, kind of relive the experience. Yeah, it's like, oh, this is what well, people it's, played. You know, it's funny we're talking about that. You know, it's funny we're talking about that because um, I'm going to use this talking point about the video games and another talking point about uh Dark Lords of the Sith, and we're going to tie it into uh, The Mandalorian, the, the TV show. So the Dark Trooper program with the TIE Defender, which came out in, I'm not sure, I think it was TIE Fighter. Uh, yeah, it was, I think it was in the movie, in the video game TIE Fighter. Um, and actually seeing the Mandalorians for the first time in comics, and Mandalore, going to the planet of Mandalore, and seeing Mandalore himself, you know, this is way before the Mandalorian TV show gets gets thought up. And you got to wonder, like, was Dave inspired by some of that? Like, yes or no? 
you know, did he take a little bit to pieces of that? Because, you know, there's all this visualization of it beforehand. Mm. I'm just looking at 95 right now. And uh, it says uh, in February of 95, Dark Forces came out. And uh, and that was the game that introduced us to Kyle Katarn and the Empire's plans to build an army of robotic yeah. dark troopers. Yeah, yeah. Crazy. Yeah. So, yeah. So now by this point, um, we're sort of moving up to my favorite, my favorite time of the comics, uh, 1995. So by this point, um, I'm 12 years old and I'm, and I've like been into like comics for like a year now. So I went down to the comic book shop. It's in Vancouver on fourth Avenue. It's, it's long closed, unfortunately, but it was like the place to get comics. If you lived in the Vancouver, British Columbia area, and I had a box there and they would just put every single issue in every month and I would go and pay for it. They just, they took all my lunch money. I didn't care. <laughs> but um, by, by this point, I was lucky because the comic book adaptation of Heir to the Empire starts in October of 1995. So here I am and it's 1995 and I've read these novels and here comes the first issue. I'm like, oh, wow, this is cool. So I'm like, I feel like I'm there. I'm on the ground floor finally, right? Because I'm not on the ground floor for seeing Star Wars. Star Wars came out like months before I was even born and that was the last movie let alone the first movie so I'm trying to play catch up I'm, I'm like trying to chase this dream of like trying to see Star Wars in theaters not knowing that if there's ever going to be any movies again it's 95 and you know not like George Lucas is going to come and tell me oh young Adam don't worry I'm working on episode one for you just be patient it'll be four more years nobody knows that you know that it's way before the internet so these meetings that they're having they're very private they're very corporate you know he's talking to people at Fox and they're all tight lipped so nobody knows anything and this is way before um disney had uh like d23 type stuff this is way before star wars days existed so it's still sort of the dark times in terms of like hoping for a a an audio visual star wars experience so the only way to get your star wars fix is to is to be able to read read a comic mm -hmm. or read a book you could also play a video game. Yeah. So going back to 1995, I'm going in there and I'm luckily able to find all these back issues for Tales of the Jedi and Dark Lords of the Sith and the Sith War in single issue. So I'm super excited because I, I was too young to care about like the value of them, like trying to make money off of them. Right. But, but I thought, oh, it'd be really cool to like read it in single issue form rather than a trade paperback. So what comes out in July of 1995, which funny enough, is only a month after Dark Empire 2's first issue, which came out in June of 95, is the first X-Wing Rogue Squadron comic. So this was a follow-up to the X-Wing story? So here's the, now here's the interesting thing. The comics came first. The books followed, but uh. not by that much. Yes, exactly. So we're, we're going to go on a, a, a bit of a tangent, um, but this is what I'm really excited to talk about because I love X-Wing. I, I, I was super sad to hear when the X-Wing property that Disney was going to produce just just fell apart, like just just disappeared. I we never even knew if it was going to be a new TV show or a movie. But I have my vision. Like if I'm given two hundred million dollars, I know what I'm making. It's going to be an X-wing movie followed up by a TV series. Like that's that's the intellectual property that I think needs to be produced for Star Wars that has not yet been produced, other than Heir to the Empire. And we'll we'll get to that because there's some exciting news for Heir to the Empire coming out that was just released in November of, of last year. Yeah. So originally. 
originally, this was the research I was able to find because I didn't I didn't know this until I did my research. Um, I I have absolutely every single issue of, of the X Wing Rogue Squadron comics. Initially, oh, wow. it was going to be just three story arcs, four issues each, so that's twelve comics, right? So they can maybe uh, they can maybe get a year's worth out of this, you know? Sure, mm-hmm. make a bunch of money, and that'll buy us enough time to write something else. So it did so well that they just kept running it and running it, and it ran to thirty five issues due to its popularity. It ran from July of ninety five to the end of nineteen ninety eight. Wow. And it introduced, in my opinion, uh, other than Grand Admiral Thrawn, the most badass Star Wars character who fought for the Empire, and that's Baron Suntir Fell. I, you know, you honestly, know I've, who I've Baron never, I've, I don't think I've or ever heard of that character. In? No, I'm in the same boat. I don't, I don't really remember, remember okay. that one. Okay, okay. So Baron Fell, and he's introduced in this um, story arc called In the Empire's Service. So that's, that's a story arc. It's a four-issued arc. You can buy it as a trade paperback, and it's issues 21 through 24 and then there's this double double issued special issue number 25 called the making of baron Sinterfell. he's a karelian who grows up on a farm so he kind of has a bit of luke skywalker a bit of han solo brashness and he goes and enlists in the imperial academy just the way luke right he wanted to learn to fly how do you fly you join the navy they give you free flying lessons right and he's loyal to the empire and he becomes an ace tie pilot to the rank of colonel so he's very very high up there and when you're a colonel and i i can speak this in the military like when you're a colonel you're nowhere near the battle you are far back watching it proceed making tactical decisions but he is so loyal to his men and so confident in his flying abilities he can do the tactics from the battle not on the star destroyer mm-hmm. um the artwork was superb this this is where the artwork actually got a step up if you look at the artwork in the story arc before then so that would have been issues like 16 to 20 and then you go to 21 to 24 they switched artists and it's immaculate they do those like double page spreads where you've got like an x-wing chasing a tie fighter and you've got other tie interceptors in the background you know chasing a y-wing like very very good artwork but really it came down to this was great writing they're introducing the other side of the war imperials aren't all and i'm going to use andy brown's term they're not all bucketheads. you know <laughs> they have feelings they have family they have they have kids that they're fighting for you know why are they rebels because they're rebels they're bad people you know rebels steal they're bad people they need to be shot that's you know the <laughs> the rebel alliance they're not good people they're 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 disturbing the peace and order in the galaxy <laughs> Right, right. That's interesting. A lot of people craving stories like that now. Exactly. So this is telling the Empire side of of the battle, of, of the fight. And they literally show, like... Um, his friends on a freighter being attacked by like pirates and like yeah the rebel alliance is different but like the empire is there to like stop everything like pirating you know trafficking uh spice running which you know in star wars speak is is drugs right you know whether we're not going to get into like whether you agree with drug policies or not but the idea being that like you know illicit drugs are illicit because they harm you so they should be illegal so we're, we're giving the reader the other side of the story that they never got to know about and see that the Empire, if, you, if you're on the Empire side, you, you believe in the fight too. Mm-hmm. Um, he actually switches sides, and I won't, I won't give you the reason why. I'll let you, uh, dear listener and reader, uh, who are not familiar with Baron Sunterfell, find out why he switches sides, but it's, it's a good uh, plot. And that goes all the way through to issue 35 with this great last story arc called 
mandatory retirement. And, and I just, I love that, that, that play on words because it, it, it's basically meaning that someone's going to die. And yes, it, it is a rogue squadron member that, uh, that, that sacrifices themselves in a, in a firefight to save another person to complete the mission. Cause that's another thing. When you're a soldier, the mission comes first, then your team who comes last you, that's, that's the idiom that we have to uh, live mm-hmm. by. Now, all of this allowed for some setup for the different rogue squadron that appeared in the books, which I'm going to preface showcases a little bit how Lucasfilm licensing had various authors talking to each other. And remember how I had said that earlier. So let's just back up in our timeline. In July of 95, that's when issue one of the X-Wing Rogue Squadron comic comes out. The books, which were initially written by Mike Stackpole and then taken over by Aaron Alston, X, literally the first book was called X-Wing Rogue Squadron, was released in 1996. And uh, have you guys read any of the X-Wing novels? Novels, no. I'm uh, it's it's fun. I, I don't know how to read. <laughs> <laughs> I I personally I've never read the X Wing adaptation of those. <laughs> I, I've never read the Rogue Squadron books, I, but I think um, if I'm not mistaken, I think Bryce has has uh, read maybe a few of those. He's uh, he's frequently on on the podcast, but uh, yeah, the 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 Rogue Squadron series. I mean, the title of that was later reused in the now probably most likely dead Star Wars movie, which was going to be directed by Patty Jenkins. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. So yes, the whole term like X Wing or Rogue Squadron or X Wing Rogue Squadron can get quite confusing, and I wouldn't I wouldn't even want to quantify how the person at Lucasfilm is trying to figure out from an IP protection standpoint, not not Lucasfilm's IP protection, but more the IP protection for someone who's writing something, because you don't want to have something of the same title. It takes away from that person's ability to sell products, potentially, right? Like, look, N64's X-Wing Rogue Squadron, the the best N64 game I think ever made, (laughs) other than Goldfinger. Um, You know, would you want another game being called Rogue Squadron? Probably not. You'd probably sue them and be like, hey, that's, that's title infringement. You can't do that. So... I don't want to go too deep down the hole, but yes, the first book of this X-Wing series, which um, was called Rogue Squadron, was released in 96. And since you guys haven't read it, there there is mention within like the first chapter that Wedge is putting, he uses this term, back together Rogue Squadron. And I'm going, back together? What's he mean? Now, remember, by this point, only a few arcs of the comic have been coming out. So now we've got these comics coming out on a monthly basis and these books being released. So they're going to be like at the same time and people are like, hold on, I'm reading this comic and none of the characters in the comic are in the book and I'm reading this book and, and the, what the heck's going on? They're both called Rogue Squadron. They both got Wedge, but Wedge's wingman is different. What the heck's going on here? They were not the same time in the squadron. At the end of the X-Wing comic book series, which, as I said, ends in 1998 with the mandatory retirement arc, the squadron is pulled off the front line and disbanded, which which is totally true. Military units get disbanded all the time. You know, they have buildups and they have breakdowns. Right, I can't right. remember the excuse for why it was restarted but there's there's like a, a quick scene in like the first two chapters of the X-Wing Rogue Squadron book written in 96 where Admiral Akbar is briefing Wedge saying we got another major mission coming down and we need you to put your, your team together so select a bunch of pilots mm. and, 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 he, and he does so uh, that's where he borrowed a few characters that were written from the comic book series namely Tycho Kelchu this Alderanian man who I, I, I love um, I, I would make him the star, honestly, of, of the Rogue Squadron movie, uh, even, even greater than Wedge, because he, he has this internal conflict being from Alderaan, 
who was an Imperial pilot uh, at the Academy and, and defected. But, you know, we're talking about being in the Empire and you're fighting for something. Well, how about you've been in the Empire, they've blown your planet up, killed your whole family, you're going to switch sides. You're fighting for something too, right? You're you're fighting for your own sense of justice. So mm-hmm. these, these IPs, yes, it's sci-fi, but I, I think it touches on some real raw human emotions that people experience. You know, we all live our day-to-day lives and good things happen to us and bad things happen to us. And when we read fiction, when we go down to sit and read, you want to try to relate to the characters. So these characters aren't I think wishy-washy. I think the authors have taken some time to focus at least on a few key characters and really flush them out to make them who they really are. So um, the X-Wing Rogue Squadron series of books does basically take off where the comic book series ended a few months where where that ended because they're they're working towards... And remember, where did Air of the Empire start? It started five years afterwards. They're already on Coruscant. They've already set up the new government on the galactic uh, capital, we'll call it, right? Mm-hmm. But how did they get to Coruscant, right? How did they get from Endor and destroying Death Star 2 to there? There's a lot of other planets. There's lots of Star Destroyers out there that could still kill um, the New Republic from from winning. So this is these are the battle books, basically. If, you, if you're into like war, <laughs> the war part of Star Wars, you read X-wing Rogue Squadron because it's it's always it's always a space battle. If you, if you love the space battles, that's why I picked them up. You know, I was I was an impressionable 13 uh, year old boy, and I loved reading about X-wings chasing Tie Fighters down. Like I said, it's 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 sort of ageist. Like I'm 13. Where were you guys when you were 13? What what really excited you? Oh man, uh, the Clone Wars was just coming out, so I was I was the perfect age when when that show sort of debuted, and I was already a Star Wars fan for a while, but um, but that was sort of what kept Star Wars alive for me. And uh, you know, I mean, other than that, I mean, yeah, like playing video games, you know, Lego, whacking lightsabers outside in the backyard with friends, you know, that was sort of where I was at. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I don't know, maybe it was like you know, by the time I'm 13, I'm starting to talk to my grandfathers about their their time flying in World War II for for what they wanted to tell me because it was it was pretty harrowing and they faced death a lot as bomber pilots. Um, but I'm starting to get that sense of like flying and you know and have and have flown a lot by that point yeah. um, in in airplanes mm-hmm. and stuff. So that that sensation. So those books really spoke to me. And I, if you want to sum up the Rogue Squadron books, I guess I would call it the campaign to Coruscant because that's basically what it is. They are. They're kind of, it's almost like World War II Pacific Theater. They're island hopping. They are choosing strategic worlds. They're working their way towards Chandrilla, which is Mon Mothma's home world. Mm-hmm. And they take that. And then from there, they use that as a jumping point because that's a core world. And then they take that as a jumping point to Coruscant. And um, I'll finish up this, this talking point real fast with saying what was interesting about the comics and the novels. And the novels introduced her first because the novel was written in 96. And then sure enough, when the comics caught up in the timeline, they introduce Isani Zard, the Imperial Security Bureau chief. Now, that's a very cool expanded universe character, as, as cool as I think as like Mara Jade for a female Star Wars character who is very um, tough, uh, very smart, very calculating. Right. So- and I-, I can't recall, has has Isani Zard been talked about in any of the new Star Wars TV shows that have come out? I, I feel like she was introduced recently. Or am I just out to To watch? my recollection, I can't... Re- I, I don't recall the name, but uh, you know, a, a quick a quick Wikipedia search, and and I'm sure there's gonna be the the canon. Maybe, uh, maybe the it's canon something over. to do with Andor. Oh, you yeah, know maybe, what? Maybe yeah, it's maybe something to do with Andor, because because or maybe maybe you don't we don't see Azan, but 
but we think that maybe in Andor season two, they'll show her because we're introduced to the ISB and, you know, like the, the ISB at its very worst is like the Nazi Gestapo. Like they, they, they are bad people. Yeah. And, and if they, they grab you, you know, you're being tortured. Like you, you don't want to be mm-hmm. talking to anybody who's associated with the ISB. They, they are not nice people. The stormtroopers are actually humans. They're, they're people, yeah. <laughs> but like anybody who works for the ISB is sort of like they're, uh, they're they're a true believer, if you want to use that term colloquially in uh, in Star Wars and empirical reference. So that's a wish list so, character for you that's, to that's see in live action. Then absolutely, absolutely, and especially because she's famous because she, her eyes are two different colors. Oh wow! One of them is uh, one of them is like bright red, and the other one is bright blue. It's 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 weird. It's uh, and then she's got this uh, ashen hair that's sort of like silver, uh, but she's not like she's not old. She's like thirty. I um, I still find yeah. it crazy yeah. that that. You know, the, the way that you talk about the overlap between these novels and the comics with X-Wing, I find it crazy that for two years almost, you know, people just didn't know that the books would have taken place after the comic books. Like, I think the only other information that they would have sort of brought out to the public in terms of like, this is how it's situated in the timeline is probably through the recently renamed Star Wars Insider Magazine. Uh, that's probably the only place that they would have had the information that the books take place, uh, you know, after that's, the, the that's comic. A very, that's a very good point. That's a very good point. And I think it has to do with, remember what I was talking about, about protecting your IP? Yeah. Um, Bantam Spectra, when you would buy a Star Wars novel, uh, about a few pages in after the inlay, but before the title page, or maybe, you know, immediately after the title page, but before like the, um, uh, the introduction of characters, because that was the thing they would do. They would introduce all the characters, mm-hmm. uh, probably because they were getting new Star Wars readers and they didn't know who the heck Luke Skywalker was or who Darth Vader is. Um, they had a timeline. Okay. That's, you Dark know, Horse Comics did the same. That's interesting because they Dark still do the that. Same. But here's the problem. Dark Horse didn't talk to Bantam and Bantam didn't talk to that either. Now, yes, the the overlords, like the chief editor, whoever, whoever the heck, like I think it's called like an editor-in-chief who runs um, Dark Horse Comics' Star Wars publishing part is obviously talking to Lucasfilm and maybe even having phone conversations with Bantam just to make sure they're not stepping on each other's toes. But the reader, if they're if they're only into books, they don't really realize the comics like there's some overlap. Like if, if somebody wants to be loyal and be like, I want to read everything about Star Wars. It's the only thing I care about. I'm going to give all my bar mitzvah money to it. <laughs> just give me everything. <laughs> you know, just I take it all. I want to read all of it. And I want to read it in order. They would have to do their own research. Yeah, call me a nerd. I did my own research. I mean, I was reading it as it was coming out, but I was also filling in the holes. Dude, it, it took me a whole weekend to literally stack all my comics in chronological order. <laughs> not <laughs> not chronological order from when it came out, but the story chronological order. Right. So like, but, uh, but my wife is a uh, a trained uh, librarian, so basically I get that from her. <laughs> Before we move too far along from these uh, mid-90s, I also want to throw it out there because you mentioned that, that Kenner was was uh, sort of pestering George, you know, hey, what are you doing next? What are you doing next? Uh, by this point, I believe Kenner had been bought by Hasbro, perhaps, because Hasbro uh, releases their Power of the Force collection in the middle of, uh, of 1995. And uh, this was 
sort of the Correct. iconic, the really muscular looking action figures that are, you know, like the Kenner ones, but they're all jacked. And, uh, you know, this was, uh, yeah, and, I, and I'm going to quickly interrupt you here for a yeah. second. That's where actually one of the coolest Luke variations come out. The Luke Skywalker dark empire version. Ah, there you go. Yeah. Where he's, yeah. And, and, and it's actually, I mean, I guess Phil can talk about the bad art that he may not have liked <laughs> about dark empire or anything else, but like there is this iconic shot of Luke as if he is like Vader. Like he is, he's in all black. He's kind of buffed out. He's in sort of like the version of like a Darth Vader suit, but without the helmet. Mm-hmm. And um, like he's he's all he's gone full dark Jedi basically. And yes, that was materialized visually for the buyer in an action figure, uh, which was actually a, a well done action figure. Like the likeness was was quite good. It wasn't done cheaply. Yeah, yeah, Phil. Maybe can you elaborate on on your your personal sort of feelings about the artwork in in some of the Dark Horse? Maybe it's not Dark Empire. Maybe it's something very specific. But if you want to take a moment, there. no, it, it's it's not specifically Dark Empire. I just I've always found that the, uh, unfortunately Dark Horse has always had uh, some really good hits, in my opinion. And then some really bad misses in terms of artwork. I'm not sure how they delegated uh, issues, but like for example, like uh, Empire had some really, really good uh, Empire. Like was, I think that was more towards the 2000s. Had really good artwork, but specifically, oh, you're talking about the uh, Empire series, like Empire. Yeah, yeah, not yeah, okay, Dark yeah, Empire. yeah, I know that. Yeah, yeah, not yeah, Dark Empire, like, just Star Wars Empire. Yeah, specifically yeah. the uh, the big Starkladder story arc forever. Like, yeah. I think that was probably the most cinematic comic I've ever read in my life uh, in terms yeah, of like... Empire was a lot better than Rebellion, I would agree, which was perceiving yeah. it. And you're right. It's, they, they, they choose certain people. And if you're a real aficionado, you might follow an author, you know, or you might follow um, an artist and you'll buy anything that that artist does. And you, and yeah. you know, it could be hit or miss because the writing's not that good, but yeah, yeah. absolutely. Because my opinion absolutely. also comes from the fact that I'm like, I'm, I'm a 90s child, like born in the 90s. So for myself, like... Like Star Wars comics, almost like for me, for like Dark Horse, almost came to me, uh, for lack of better terms, like posthumously. Like, I feel like I started reading more like after after Dark Horse stopped making Star Wars comics for the most part is when I kind of got into reading them. Because uh, I was mostly like my, my Star Wars experience has mostly been just video games and just nonstop watching the VHS tapes like every week. Right. Until like they just until they rot. Um, so so when I started getting into the comics, I, w- I would like read the omnibus. That's like kind of where I started and then yeah. got from issues in there. And unfortunately, like the quality was just not there for a lot of them, which is which, is, I, which I'm surprised they decided to make omnibuses with some of the comics that I consider just to be absolute misses. Uh, however, there are some absolute great ones. The Boba Fett one specifically. um uh, what's it called? It's uh, twin, twin engines, engines or something. Yeah, twin yeah, engines. Twin engines is so good. Is in my opinion, it's I think it, I think it might be my favorite comic book of all time. There's also uh, a lot of great um, Darth Vader ones, like uh, was it Ghost Prison or or um, the Lost Command? Fantastic story, like really good. Like it's actually one of the few comics I'll admit that I've actually paid extra for and bought like the hardcover collections. Like I because I I did I decided not to get it as single issues or whatever, or I missed it. I was I don't know yeah. if I was like traveling overseas or whatever, and my box got emptied out by accident or whatever. <laughs> I didn't call, I didn't call the comic shop. They like 
like, well, you didn't call us and we didn't know if you wanted this new one. So we just didn't get it for you. But like, I bought like the hardcover because it's just, it's, it's sort of, you know, it's special to me. It it means something to me. I'm, I mean, I love Darth Vader, you know, Darth Vader is my favorite movie character without a doubt. Um, But yeah, yeah, but then, but then it's like when you get all those hits and in Dark Horse, I, I, it's, I think it was just more of like a quality control issue that I had. It was like, although like, I, I obviously like I haven't read every single issue. So like you're, like from what I've read, like from the hundreds that you've read, you've probably like I don't know, probably enjoyed like ninety percent of the artwork. Unfortunately, from what I've read, I've probably only enjoyed like fifty percent of it, right? So it was kind of kind of turned me off. And then, well, uh, sorry, Phil, can I can I quickly interrupt you there for a second? Oh, absolutely, go ahead. Yeah. So I I think I can confidently say that from Dark Empire, like literally the first Star Wars title produced in the modern era um, by Dark Horse, till they lost the license. Because I have I have some early Marvel stuff. I've I've stopped reading it. I, full disclosure, I, I no longer collect Star Wars comics. I um, mean, I'll tell you why. This is where I'm going with this in a second. Um, <laughs> I think I have almost everything that's produced by Dark Horse. Everything, hundreds. Oh my. Now, where am I going with this? Yes, greed got involved um and we're going to talk about it in the books in in a bit when we get to the Yuzam Vong and why I, I think it was a, a problem um the comics they were putting out too many titles a month because it is a business after all and the publisher that's the editor's boss the person who actually signs off on story arc says well we need x amount of dollars in and our our poll is saying like you know uh readers want four a month they're, they're like they are willing to spend twenty dollars a month on comics and that's five dollars comics right, so we need right. we must have four series right they were putting out too many titles a month and it could not be supported to the point and that means they were putting out a lot of filler and it wasn't all killer hence a lot of those omnibuses was another way to try to make money to get people into it who thought they'd missed out but then they're reading a lot of filler and not enough killer so i absolutely am with you um i have comics that i have kept maybe sort of for stupid collective reasons i i know it's it's pretty shameful for me to say that but like like legacy didn't really enjoy it but if I hold on to it for another 20 years, I could sell the entire lot for maybe like 10 grand. I mean, I'm just throwing a stupid number out there. Maybe it'd be, <laughs> right, maybe it'd be 100 bucks. Maybe it's garbage. But my point is, if I literally give this to some 30-year-old 20 years from now and say, here is the entire Star Wars legacy arc, all 50 comics, complete. Check them out. They're all in bags. They're all backboarded. They're perfect. You can read them and destroy them, or you can keep them as a collectible. I don't know why you would want to. I can do that. I can gift it to somebody as a complete set. Mm-hmm. So that's why I just, I just, kept, I just kept saying, "Yeah, I'll take it. Yeah, I'll take it." I mean, you know, I was, I was working in the film industry by this point. I was making some decent money, so I was like, "Whatever, it's twenty-five bucks a month. It's my reading. It's for, it's for my mental health." As my wife is like, that's "Those right. comics are going underneath. I don't want to see them on the bookshelf. They're going underneath the bookshelf." I go, "Yes, ma'am." <laughs> So they were, they were draining. They were draining on her mental health at that point. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna give it back to you, Phil, in one second because I actually want to hear if there's any specific titles of comics you like. But this, I'm gonna go to the books for one second, and then I'm gonna go back to Phil. Is that, is that cool, Phil? Yep. You, you go, you go all in. I'm, I'm, I'm all ears here. So I think when the Yuzang Vong invasions plotline, like the the New Jedi Order, started, and I can't remember when that was. It was I don't know around 2000 or 2005 or whatever. 
um, it got out of hand. There was way too many books and what I could not keep up. And, you know, I thought I was a pretty decent, voracious reader, but like, I can't be reading like three to four books a month, a month. I mean, it's just, it's just too much content in, in a single idea. Now I get it. People, there are people out there who can read a book a day, like a 350 page paperback. And that's, that's good for them. That's how they relax. It's how they expand their mind. But like, do you really want to be reading the same thing? Like, do you really want to read a Harlequin romance novel every day? Or do you want to read that and then read a bit of Asimov and then maybe read a nonfiction novel like um, uh, about Elon Musk or, or the same author who's a brilliant author who you could read like his biography on Steve Jobs. Like I could not do Star Wars that much per month, month after month after month. So I stopped. I stopped reading the stories. I, I, I had lost interest. The, and maybe this... I was the wrong target audience. Maybe they were trying to attract new readers. And I think they were trying to attract new readers. Yeah. And I mean, oversaturation is a real thing. Th this is an issue that yeah. I... I think and, and that I think they have it's today. happened in Marvel now. Yeah. Yeah, I think Marvel uh, really sort of screwed the pooch with the licensing deal. And I'm happy to hear, and I'm saying this for all your listeners who enjoyed enjoyed the Dark Horse comics the way I did, they are now sharing the license. Yep. I don't know how they make that happen because I would I would consider it a non-compete clause, but apparently Lucasfilm has awarded the ability to produce Star Wars stories in comic book form to Marvel and Dark Horse, and it's happening right now. There, there are stories being published under the Marvel label and the Dark Horse label, like as of two months ago. And this was uh, this was also uh, this is also happening with an over lap with IDW as well and up until recently I believe it was Marvel and IDW uh, side by side for a while and IDW had like a very specific label oh, I didn't know that yeah they had a very specific oh. label with the Star Wars Adventures lineup they did multiple different uh, uh, sort of titles with the Adventures subtitle to Star Wars and uh, now they're doing uh, the the High Republic or they were doing High Republic Adventures in Phase One, and I think now with Phase Three, uh, because of the transition to Dark Horse, I don't know if IDW still is producing stuff. I, I um, it's been a few weeks since I looked into it, but um, the last I have seen uh, is yes, Dark Horse is putting out High Republic stories, the new the new era that they're putting out uh, side by side with Marvel. And they're going at it as if, you know, they're telling different stories taking place in the same time frame. And this is all in relation to the multimedia project that they have going on. This includes the books, the audiobooks. Uh, they've got junior and young adult novels in the High Republic era being published by the Lucasfilm Disney Publishing Group. And then there's the adult novels yeah. being published by Del Rey. So like this is also happening with the novels as well now. And it's just so much. And, you know, you talk about the oversaturation of content kind of back in the early 2000s when it was the Star Wars Invasion series that was the the Yuuzhan Vong stuff, right? But uh, yeah. like this, this has been an ongoing issue, I think, ever since. Um, which, then, which then led into some other series of books where they sort of, they won the war, but this was also where like the galactic remnant had become powerful enough that um, there was an alliance formed with the New Republic and then it became, it became like, the Galactic Republic, like whatever, some amalgamation between the new the Galactic Alliance, mm -hmm. a new government. <laughs> so basically, the Empire is okay now, and the New Republic's going to just accept them, and now they've formed some sort of like government for for peace and security to stop this unknown region's threat that keeps that keeps coming out, like something even beyond the Yuuzhan Vong. Mm. Yeah, you know, and and like the you know, it's a, a, um, 
like I don't want to dwell on the the whole issue with the the oversaturation, but I have a personally like I have a big problem with it as well because I uh, initially when Disney bought Luke's film uh, and they sort of hit the reset button, um, you know, I'm jumping to the end of the story here, but they hit the end of the reset button and and the expanded universe kind of all sort of fizzled away in terms of its continuity and uh, the whole new rebirth of Star Wars continuity was was done in in line with all their new films and video games and so on and so forth that we have today. And uh, I tried my best over the, the, the first like couple years of them doing this. I tried my best to buy every every single thing that they did. So if if Marvel put out like a comic book series, I would buy the trade paperback when it was bound and published. And then when a novel came out, I would go and buy the hardcover when the hardcover dropped first before the paperback. Right. So I was kind of like on the ball with all these things. And I would sort of give myself a break with the comic books because they came out so frequently. I was sort of delay myself on that front and wait for the trade paperback so I could read it like a book. And uh, and meanwhile, keep up with the other novels and stuff. And it just got to the point where my entire so I have, I have one of those Ikea Calyx things, you know, like uh, but I've like I've got the okay. big the yeah. big one, which is like, you yeah. know, it's a big thing of cubbies and it's like five squares across and and uh, five down kind of thing. So it's a it's big. It takes up a big wall. My entire bookshelf, right, with all of the books that they had published between 2000 and I guess it was 2013 to about, mm, I want to say like 2020. So seven years worth of comic books and books. I didn't own absolutely everything at this point. I was behind by quite a few things and it had already filled up pretty much most of those five cubbies. And uh, that to me was like, that was crazy, right? Like there was so much going on every month. There's so much going on. a lot of media. It's so much media. Yeah. Yeah, it's so much. It's too much. And that's not even including the video games that came out. That's not including any specific direct audio things that they've done, which they've done like, you know, three of those or four of those now as well. Um, And these are trade paperbacks. You know, we're not, we're not talking you know single issues because that would take up even more if you count like the, the cardboard backing and stuff but like it was it was too much so at one point i was like okay I'm buying these books ahead of the time that I can actually get around to reading them. And that, I haven't even cracked the spine on them yet. And they've been sitting here for like, you know, six months to a year. Uh, and that's how far behind I, I'm a quite a slow reader as well. But so eventually I was like, you know what, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to sell all this stuff. I'm going to take it back to Indigo, all that, you know, just get some store credit. So uh, I took everything that was in like perfect, pristine condition still and took it back to the store, explained my, my, uh, uh, my dilemma here and they gave me some gift cards which i ended up just spending on uh, the the big fat star wars archives book by tastian beautiful books and oh, nice. uh so i replaced my entire canon series collection with these two sort of commemorative books that are sort of about the films and about george lucas and i still have a few left i still got like two two more more of the recent sort of vader issues uh series which are quite good uh, and I've got a number of hardback, uh, hardcover sort of novels as well, maybe like 10 or something like that. But um, but yeah, that's 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 what remains from my gargantuan sort of obsessive collection. And uh, all I got to say is it was too much. They got to slow down. They still have to slow down. And uh, it's an ongoing issue. So <laughs> there's my rant. Yeah. 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 Phil, any uh, thoughts on that comment? No, I've, I mean, I think it's a sentiment that's pretty random. Is your, has your hyperdrive been overloaded ever? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I, like I said, like, I, I used to I used to watch, like, the just the original trilogy, like, 4, 5, 6, religiously, like, every weekend, or if it wasn't every weekend, it was every second weekend. I don't know why, I just, I just loved watching them. When you got nothing to do, and it's nice and quiet, you just want to sit back and... And relax. And then, you know, when when the when the new stuff came out, it was great. I had more to watch. And then 
it got too much, and I had too much to watch. And then it wasn't just watching, and then it was it became reading, and then became all the other accoutrement, like uh, everything, everything that's like surrounding the universe. It's just there's there's so much. To, it's like it's at a point where like you don't know where to start anymore, kind of thing. Yeah. So uh, at that point, I was just kind of like, I've just kind of dialed it back a little bit. Not to say that like my fandom has ever waned, but it's just, it's a, it's, a, it's an interesting thing where it's like maybe like to bring it back to the, the subject at hand. It's like, while there was nothing really for the fan base between the mid eighties to the nineties, we're at a point where it's like, you know, it's fully reversed to the point where there might be a little bit too much. Not that I'm, not that I'm yearning for having uh, as little as we had at the time, but it's just it's an interesting juxtaposition. Yeah, I, I think what I liked about maybe getting in on the ground floor for the expanded universe, maybe I was like two years late because you know I didn't I picked up Heir to the Empire as by that point already an old novel. You know, like I picked it up I think in ninety three or ninety four and it came out in ninety one. Like basically everything was out. I was able to like read it and then go read Dark Force Rising and Last Command right after I finished it. So yeah, I had right. to have been like ninety three, ninety four. Um, but it, it it there was almost like a pathway, you know. It's like I'm I'm like a Soka with the Wayfinders. Like this is the pathway I have to follow. Like you're gonna read this book next, and then you're gonna read that book next. Like because there wasn't that much content, there was enough, but it wasn't too much. There was a yeah. book, and then you knew that you're gonna read this book next, and then you're gonna read that book next. And the path didn't. There wasn't a whole bunch of like divergent chains where like do I go left or go right? You're only gonna go straight. You're gonna read this story, and it's gonna tell you that. Uh, about that character. You're not going to have to pick or choose. So I think in the mid-90s, that's that's probably the best time, is when the Expanding Universe was, was sort of at its best because there was content for readers to enjoy and learn about Star Wars beyond what the movies could tell us, but it wasn't overwhelming. And you could, and you could right. get behind a character um, yeah, so I've got I've got two more points about the, the comics that I wanted to quickly sort of share. Um, I want to kind of tell you about like one of my favorite arcs that was written that was um, a small one. And it also it tells a really unique story and it's called Crimson Empire. Are either of you familiar with that title? Yes. No, so, I'm, I'm not. So Crimson Empire, um, it, I did the audio book uh, for, for, for Crimson Empire. Really? Yeah. I, well, I, like I listened to it. I listened to the, the yeah, I, I don't know if it's an adaption of the, the comic book series or if there is um, perhaps a novelization of the comic books that was then turned into an audio book. I've never known that there was a novelization of it, but maybe there's an audio adaptation from the comic book, but that's very fascinating that they yeah, did that. Yeah. So what year was, uh, what year did that? come out was that 98 released in december of 97 through to may of 98 and then in november of 98 through to april of 99 is when crimson empire 2 came out there was a crimson empire 3 that story is it's a little wishy-washy by that point but what's great about it is for people for people who don't know what i'm talking about is this is in a story arc about one of palpatine's royal guards but yes the guys in the red suits that you see holding the staffs in the throne room on death star 2 during return of the jedi this is this is the elite fighter like way better than navy seal like this is this is like a dev grew seal this is a Delta Force kind of guy yeah. in the Star Wars land of stormtroopers. <laughs> and the, like, these are the uh, the hand guys hand that combat. we these are the guys that people see in Return of the Jedi, right? For anyone who who needs sort of a visual recollection, uh, the red robed sort of Imperial Guard guys that stand there yeah. with the staffs. They yeah. stand on either side of Pal 
Palpatine, and they also stand on either side when you're looking at Luke when he comes up out of the uh, the turbo lift yeah. and comes out. There's two of them standing standing there, and uh, you know they're they're sort of set dressing, unfortunately, uh, in the movie because the, I maybe you know they they could have been given a little bit more to have done rather than like they're basically just walking, but they could have done a little bit more sort of like I'm not telling them they have to fight like the fight is between Vader and Luke in Return of the Jedi and the Emperor getting involved, and we all know how that that finishes. But it's just there are very it's like oh who's that guy? It, it, it's kind of like um you know when you introduce Boba Fett in Empire Strikes Back, it's like, oh, that's a that's a cool looking character. But like, you know, mm-hmm. so yeah. this this is a fully flushed out guy who's very loyal to the Empire, who is not selected to go serve with Palpatine on the Death Star, and he's on the training world where these guys endure this this horrible uh, torture to to become members, and um, he has a score to settle. So he's basically trying to take out all of these uh, guys who are trying to destroy the Empire. So he he's not necessarily killing rebels. He's actually killing, like, warlords, like imperial warlords, guys that have gotten greedy. And quick little tidbit of, of interest, there is a character introduced in these series, not in Crimson Empire, but maybe Crimson Empire 2, definitely number 3, a character called Nom Anor. He's this cloaked figure. That name comes up again in the Yuzang Vong. So here's another one of those interesting crossovers where something released in the comics a year ahead of time is talked about. You go to that vision board at Lucasfilm that I'm making up right now that I envisioned <laughs> that there's there. And the guys who are writing the books for this new Jedi Order that they're going to unleash on the world at 20 books that I can't keep up with. And Nom Anor was basically a human, um, he wasn't a spy, he was a scout, basically looking for weak points in the human societies of the galaxy. And he paved the way for the Yuzang Vong to come in and take over bit by bit. So, when, uh, I forget, so when, when does Crimson quick, Empire... That's one of take... Adam's quick hit tips. Yeah. I, I forget when when does Crimson Empire uh, when, when take is place? It, when is it in inside the um, the Star Wars chronology? That's right. Yeah. So it takes place immediately immediately after Return of the Jedi, right up to Heir to the Empire. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, and then this Nomanor character. That's why he's always in the background. Like he he never sort of releases you know himself. He doesn't he doesn't show his face. He's just sort of skulking around or making political decisions. Like he's trying to ingratiate himself with whatever council he thinks is going to have power. So he can then manipulate it to weaken their defenses to allow the Yuzang Vong to then move into the galaxy and take over it. So you're saying um, because, uh, you know, the evidence is there, like that that character showing up in, in a comic book series that came out in, in 97, you know, going through the, the late 90s and then, um, you know, showing up again, I would assume with uh, with the novels uh, sort of in the uh, in the early two in, or actually maybe even was it 99? Was it uh, the New Jedi Order series was when when the Yuzang Vong uh, introduced uh, the sort of invasion process plotline before Dark Horse continued it in the Invasion Dark Horse series, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's always one of those like, like you're like, were they that brilliant when they introduced that character? Did they know about the Yuzan Vong? Like, were were they were they were they setting us up for this? Like three years <laughs> out? I, like, I don't really know. I, I don't I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, I have no idea if they were that far out in advance. You'd like to think that people are that smart, but really, I think sometimes they're just uh, you know, like come on, do you really believe that uh, the midi chlorians are the force? Like, come on, what a bunch of hokey hooey. <laughs> I think that really upset a lot of people when when episode one came out. That yeah, they're yeah. they're trying to use science science and biology to quantify the force. But um, yeah, so 
I, I've got one other um, thing I want to talk about comics really fast, and this was a series called Star Wars Tales, and this was a really great anthology comic series that really explored the expanding universe with multiple authors uh, at, at Dark Horse, uh, exploring a variety of, of new characters. And one, so the, what it was is, it, I, I think it was a monthly, maybe a bi-monthly, or, or is it semi-monthly? Is that, what, what's every other month? Is that semi? That's semi-monthly. But um, it was it was like a 48 page comic, so it was a, it was a thick one, but it even had like a bit of a spine on it, and it was short stories. So it wasn't like a 48 page comic story. It was 48 pages, but you might have like three 16 page stories in there. But the thing is, they were sort of like the way Indiana Jones was designed as a movie off of the serials that they grew up loving from the 30s as young boys. Mm-hmm. Like the end of a story would then be picked up in the next tales. Ah. So it was a marketing ploy, obviously, to bring readers to keep buying them. But what I liked about it was it was just lots and lots of Star Wars stories, exploring lots and lots of characters, people that we knew. Like, I, I'm not sure if they're, I, I can't, there's so many of them, and it's been years since I've reread them. I probably should reread them because I love them, but maybe Mara Jade was talked about in one of them. Boba Fett was probably talked about in one of them. But like, you're sort of your favorite characters that you've grown to love are in these these tales. And harking back to um, sort of our, I think our mutual love for Bucketheads, um, and and, and I, I would love to ask Andy this question later, because I want to know if he got his inspiration for this, but there was an arc in Star Wars Tales about a squad of stormtroopers told from their perspective, and, and they see themselves as the good guys, absolutely. And I thought it was actually one of the best uh, storylines in, in Star Wars Tales. So Interesting. Uh, I, I, I take it neither of you have probably heard of star wars tales uh, no i'm actually yeah. uh i may or may not be looking at it right now <laughs> okay. uh yeah i'm, I'm kind of filtering through it uh, uh at the moment I'm kind of, it's 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 curious the way you, yeah like the way you describe it it's just it's just it's super because, short back to back yeah and because it was an anthology um it allowed for some comic relief to be brought into so they had uh like tag and bank characters uh being written about and they would do uh like goofy uh, r2d2 c3po droid type issues but like much more tasteful than like Star Wars droids. Like it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't, it wasn't that hokey. It was, uh, so yeah, it, it, um, it was a nice bit of comic book writing that Dark Horse produced before. I think like we all agreed, it kind of got like out of hand and, and a little, right. a little crazy. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's all I've really got to talk about from the comics. Uh, those were sort of some of my favorite comics when you could sort of see like the success. I think we've agreed that like, you know, the comics got started right when the books did with Dark Empire, December of 91. And I would say by 95 with um, X-Wing, you know, being started and and being in the middle of the Tales of the Jedi uh, run because Tales of the Jedi went from 93 to 98. I would say 95 was like peak Star Wars expanded universe because it, the universe has already started to expand. People have got novels, they've got some comic books and now they're sort of in the thick of it and they're going in lots of different directions, which brings me back to the books. Um, in 1995, there was this novel called Darksaber written, and we probably all have different ideas of what the Darksaber is. So do you guys know what Darksaber is? <laughs> 
you know, all I know is because wow, I've I, 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 I just I'm serious. Like, if you haven't heard of the novel, if I say dark saber, what do you think dark saber is or means? So I, I immediately think of the Mandalorian dark saber, but um, I, I also believe okay, that, that I knew it. I knew you were going to say that. Well, I, I also think in Rogue One there was a mention to a project dark saber. I think on on uh, um, Scarif. I think when they're going through the different plans uh, at the Imperial uh, sort of base there. Uh, the, the Citadel Tower on oh, Scarif. Oh, yeah, right. I yeah. think there was a mention to a Project Darksaber or something. Okay, so remember this. This is a book that comes out in 95. So it's got Filoni beat by like two decades, okay? The Darksaber is not a sword yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in, in this version, okay? Yeah. Darksaber is the code word for a Death Star that the Huts created, basically out of a mishmash of a prototype that was built near the Maw, which is this, this cluster of um, uh, black holes. So super, super dense gravity wells uh, close to Kessel, where the Spice Planet. And um, it, it's not a great book, but it's got a talking point I want to talk about because it, 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 it introduces, it doesn't introduce because the character's already been introduced, but it it's the passing of the torch. So there's, there's two early, trilogies of novels in Star Wars. There's the Heir to the Empire trilogy that Timothy Zahn wrote, and then there's the Jedi Academy trilogy written by Kevin J. Anderson. Kevin J. Anderson introduced this villain called Admiral Dalla, a female um, admiral who has her own Super Star Destroyer, which is very cool. You gotta have a Super Star Destroyer if you're gonna be big, bad, and evil, right? Big, bigger's always better in the in the Empire. Her um, attempt to take over the Academy and destroy all the Jedi Knights on Yavin 4 um, ultimately leads to her stepping down and handing over command of the Imperial Remnant to one Captain Pelion. Pelion, for those who have read Heir to the Empire, he is the second in command to Grand Admiral Thrawn. And I think he's one of the coolest characters ever written. Um, he's a true believer and a military man who really believes that law and order has to be maintained for peace and security to be there in the galaxy. But he also realizes that ultimately being willing to negotiate will get you peace as well. And that's talked about two years later in 1997 when Timothy Zahn comes back to the Star Wars world and writes a duo of novels called Spectre of the Past and Vision of the Future. And this was designed to wrap up the Thrawn storyline for all those fans that want more Thrawn. Like me, I always want more Thrawn. So Pelion is sort of like the de facto leader of the Empire at this point, and he negotiates a peace with Leia Organa, which lasts for, for years and years. Um, so if, um, I, I'm going to try to use a military analogy that might go right over your heads, but have you guys seen the movie Patton? Nope. No. That's it. Huh? No? Okay. So he's based on a real general, a general who fought during World War II for the Americans. Brilliant tactician. Uh, Grand Emerald Throne is like Patton, and the um, he's sort of brash and always wants to take the fight to the Germans, right? You're always pushing forward. And then Pelion is like Omar Bradley, the smart guy who takes a second to think about it and ultimately actually advances above, like gets promoted greater. So maybe not the best analogy to use with you guys, but uh, uh, for those people who know a little bit about military history, they might be having a chuckle right now while listening to me talk, or they might think I'm just all full of crock. I, I don't know. But um, Admiral, uh, he becomes an Admiral Pelion. So Pelion's a, a really neat character as well. 
Um, I think it's a close uh, second or third between Pelion and Sinterfell for being like up there with um, Admiral Thrawn. Everybody's like, man, I'm just like the Imperials. He must be an Imperial uh, <laughs> lover. I, I, I love the Empire, man. Those rebel scum, they got it. They got it coming. They were being naughty. They were being bad. You must have been sympathetic. Like, do I exactly do I? Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say you. You must have been pretty happy when Paleon showed up in in the Mandalorian in season three. Hey, well, exactly. So exactly, that's exactly my point. So I was gonna ask, like, what do you guys know of Paleon? What do you think of him? Because it sounds like your um. Actually, I sorry. I should I should repreface this question. Have either of you guys actually read *Heir to the Empire* the novel? I should have actually started that with that question right at the beginning. <laughs> no, not at all. Not for not for me. Uh, I. I haven't. No, it's been on my list for so long, but I've I've had um, like I've been reading Star Wars books probably since the the very early two thousands, uh, pro- when the when the Jedi Quest and Jedi Adventure series from Scholastic started coming out. That was around oh, yeah. the time that I jumped on Star Wars books. Um, so at, at that point, Heir to the Empire yeah. had been around for about ten years, and uh, all its sequels a bit less than that. So. Um, I, but it was, it was for much older, you know, audiences, older readers and such. So, you know, by the time I would have been yeah, the no, age I, that I, I could have completely understand. Yeah. And then at that point there was so much more and yeah. I just never got around to it. Even still, even now I, I still tell myself, I got to go into those. And then I just, I just, you know, there's so much other stuff to, to catch up on. So, uh, but I do need to go back and, and read it. <laughs> Yeah, I think you actually raise an interesting point that, like, I don't think that the publishers, and to a lesser degree Lucasfilm, do enough to sort of promote their older works. And, right. and I think they're doing it on purpose. I don't think they want to. And I think it's a shame. Like you say, like, you're, it's, it's 2003 and you're a young boy and you've, you've never even heard of Heir to the Empire. And this is like pre-Disney buyout. Mm-hmm. Everything's all aligned. All the expanded universe is still canon. It's not called Legends yet. And yet, like, you can't find a copy of it. And I'm not saying it's out of print, but you're right. Like, you'd have to go to the library. You have to you have to do the research to hear about, like, what was the first Star Wars novel ever yeah, written? Hmm. Yeah, because, because at this point, there was no such thing as e-readers. There was no such thing as, you know, like, digital platforms like iBooks or, you know, Google Play Books or whatever whatever platforms exist now that, that you know, there was no Kindles. There was no nothing. Like, it was what you found at your local uh, library or in the classroom at school um, or, you know, just sort of if you got a book from from uh, somebody as a gift or, or whatever have you um, that, uh, you know, if you're a Star Wars fan, you were hoping for a Star Wars book. And uh, there was no there was not really any websites where you could like check stock and see all your different options online at that point. You know, that was such a new thing to to, uh, you know, if, if there was any any stores that were adopting that methodology for showing what they had, you know, it was it was a very recent thing so i mean it, yeah it was it was definitely a, a time that star wars books that had already been come out, even if it was five years ago or or you know four years ago or 10 years ago whatever uh you know unless you already knew about it or unless someone told you uh told you about it, it there was a good chance that it would just fly right under your radar and you just never know about i completely it. agree and i think uh i'm gonna use phil's example uh for a talking point here like I said, there was this new, this new duology of novels that came out in 97 and 98 called Vector of the Past, Vision of the Future, which was designed to wrap up the Thrawn storyline. Well, lo and behold, come around, what was it, like 2017, 2019? Zon comes back to Star Wars and starts writing more Thrawn novels. And I'm mm-hmm. like, what? And I find out about this like last year, like early 2023. That's because I have taken a break because I've been Star Wars overloaded and my hyperdrive blew up and I couldn't get anywhere. <laughs> you know, I... Uh, 
I'm like, C-3PO down in the hole, the mess and the wires everywhere. I'm like, okay, hold on. There's Thrawn novels? Okay, I'll read the Thrawn novels because I like the Thrawn novels. But by that point, like, they're already years old and they're already, like, out of bookstores. So I'm having to, like, use research, which is great because now we have the internet. You can literally type in, like, Thrawn Star Wars and it'll give you the list. Like, Timothy Zahn has written approximately uh, nine novels with uh, the character Thrawn. And these are the orders that they were published in, blah, 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 blah. So now I'm in currently reading the Thrawn Ascendancy series, which I know actually came after this other trilogy. I'm deciding to read it from a chronological standpoint, not a publishing chronological, but like a Star Wars right. story chronology. Yep. Yep. Maybe maybe that's foolish. I don't know. We'll, we'll see when I read the next trilogy. But um, that's where I am with like, that's what I'm currently reading. I am currently reading a Star Wars themed novel yeah. um it's inter yeah. it's interesting but, that you know, you're we were talking about Pelion. yeah it's interesting that you're reading oh, sorry, those ones uh first because uh you know when i jumped on the bandwagon with when the first one was released uh that was you know the the first one of the chronologically second trilogy that he did just the one called thrawn and uh I started with that one, yes. Uh, yes. and uh, you know, I, I, now I am actually fifty-six percent of the way through Tr Thrawn Treason. That is the one I'm currently reading. So I'm finally finishing this trilogy, and uh, then I'll be moving on to the Ascendancy. So it looks like you and I are going to be doing a bit of a trade-off. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's going to be uh, yeah. I, I think I think you might you might like this this particular trilogy. It overlaps completely with Star Wars Rebels, the animated series. So. Not a performance that you're super fond of, but it makes me wonder if the sort of... Because it's still Timothy Zahn, so it makes me wonder if perhaps the way that these books are still written with that character in mind by the guy who created him in the first place, that, you know, maybe it sort of uh, redeems a little bit of the show for you in some sense. I'm, I'm curious to ask your opinion on that sort of down the road. Yeah, well, I, sure, I'd love to do it. Which brings me to a talking point that I mentioned very, very early on. So I was doing research for this chat we're having right now and found that Mr. Filoni is prepping a movie project. Yes, that's a theatrical project, code titled Heir to the Empire. Yeah. Now, it's not going to be the Timothy Zahn novel, so I don't think I'm going to like it, but <laughs> they'll get my 14 bucks. I'll see it anyways. Yeah. It's just, it's just... Like they, because they, the interview literally says, and this is an interview with Filoni, because it was based off of the D23 celebration, which was back in November. So this is, this is, this is hot off the press news. This is barely eight weeks old. They said that they are going to be sticking to the current canon. Mm -hmm. So that means that Thrawn's, you know, interactions with um, Luke and Leia and Han and stuff is going to have to be like where they got to with the First Order and eventually the Last Order. Not, you know, like it, it's just, it, it, it might mean like that Leia might be pregnant with Ben, but like where is Jason and Jaina Solo, the twins that they had before? Like, you know, mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I mean, may, I don't know. Maybe they'll do something horrible. Maybe they'll have Jason and Jaina in the be killed like that that'd be an interesting dude that'd be a, a huge can of worms to open for people who want to write stories that basically um knew that the old star wars legends like the expanded universe that leia had three kids and they yeah. actually have to fight ben that would be but pretty in, crazy in the new but in the new one it'd be like well maybe ben actually killed them and like you know and it was never said that and that's why han was so upset with ben and had to sort of banish him and then you know we, we know what happens in, in episode seven yeah. but um i'm getting i'm getting sidetracked so 
so sorry about that. No but, problem. Um, my point is, yes, Heir to the Empire hopefully will be coming to theaters as a movie. I've I've been saying for years that I think that's that's the trilogy that should have been made as episode seven, eight, nine. Um, and then when the heck you could follow it up with Dark Empire if you really wanted to. Yeah. But uh, it, it's going to come to theaters. It'll be looking a little different. And um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I wanted to ask you guys what you thought of the Pelion character. He was he was he was in there for such a short while, but yeah, you, you, you probably didn't really realize the importance of that character not not being uh, heir to the Empire readers, I guess. Yeah, exactly. For me, it didn't really didn't really register. Right, it was just another another character. Yeah. at that point. Yeah. So because I didn't read the books, I I yeah. didn't um, necessarily. I only recognized him by name uh, because I'm familiar with the plot line from the books, even though I never read the books. So uh, that was sort of how I recognized him. You know, as soon as his name popped up. Uh, I, I perked up and I was like, "Oh, there's a there's a character that just came came back." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Have either of you read a book called Outbound Flight? It's a Star Wars book. It's it's old now, but it's not crazy old. It's maybe from 10, 15 years ago at most. So you would have been old enough to be reading. Yes. I I, I owned that book, and um, I think it was it was gifted to me, and it was a brand new copy, and I never got around to reading it. And then eventually, I it, it was it, it's a part a huge of my book it is it's massive a big fat book it's, it's massive it's also a timothy zahn book yeah. right yes the reason i brought it up is because you were sort of telling me about because you're reading like the thrawn trilogy and thrawn treason you're going to get the full back you're going to get the end of the story that started in outbound flight so i i sort of wanted to hear your glee as you go ah uh, i see now why they called their the title of the book's called thrawn treason because he did this interesting <laughs> interesting so, okay yeah maybe maybe give it another go maybe maybe give it another go you know i, I can't create your reading list for you but yeah yeah you know. i'll definitely check it out yeah absolutely i see you got i see you got like one more thing or a, a few more things on the list here but go on, sorry, uh, yes, to continue yes, our nineties tour. Yeah. Yeah. So my last talking point, uh, we come to Shadows of the Empire. Now I know I, I, I joked a lot about this before we started the podcast, and I'm gonna I'm actually gonna just I'm gonna stay pretty quiet for this because I want I want to hear Phil's take on this, but I'm gonna lead into this with some information that I shared with you guys privately before the podcast started. So in 95, right? We keep coming back to 95. Man, 95 must have been a good year for Lucasfilm, all that money coming in. <laughs> um, in 95, they had a meeting at Lucasfilm. And I'm not sure if George was in the meeting, but Kathleen Kennedy sure was. And uh, I'm paraphrasing a quote that I found there that this, these were minutes taken from this meeting, a closed door meeting. They basically said they wanted to utilize the fervor of the expanded universe to provide Star Wars fans with a cinematic experience without having to spend the money of creating a feature film. Now, let that sink in for a second. What they did was they hired an author to write a story called Shadows of the Empire. At the same time, they were going to use this new property and they were going to flood all of the existing multimedia channels that they could to promote this as a new tentpole event. They did a comic book tie-in, six-issue arc, which was then followed up immediately by a sequel, six-issue arc, comic book series. They hired a professional orchestra and a composer, not John Williams, though, to do a score, which was available on CD. They did a video game tie-in. They did action figures. They didn't do Lego, though. I don't think the Star Wars Lego thing happened yet. I think that happened when that episode was one. 99. Yeah, that was, that was 99. Yeah. yeah. So... 
Like if you're um, a buyer, you're like, wow, this must be really big because I just went to a bookstore and I went to whatever, uh, you know, uh, GameStop was back in those days. Maybe it was at EB Games, but like I, I just saw this video game there and I, I was in uh, Sam the Record Man or, or Sunrise Records, whatever existed back then, A and B Sound. And I'm like, and I just saw a CD like this. This is going to be big, like with the hopes that you might think like, oh, my God, maybe this is going to be turned into a movie. I, I don't know. Um, so, so I'll, I'll throw, I'll, th- I'll interject. In sorry, my opinion, sorry, Adam, I'll just, I'll just okay, interrupt please, you for just a, uh, just a quick sec because you just mentioned the multimedia like flooding, right? Um, uh, the one other notable mention yes. that I'll throw and add on to that is the West end game source book, which was also uh, a, a dedicated source book yeah. by, by the same label on the same cover shadows of the empire. And, uh, it acted as both a, a source book for the role-playing game by West end games, but also doubled as an encyclopedia for, uh, for non-gaming fans of the expanded universe. So you're, yeah, de- you're I definitely on the right that. track. And, and that's actually yeah. a really important, and that was an important part actually. So well, we quickly should just preface this for the listeners who aren't aware of this property. So Shadows of the Empire is a storyline using all the key major characters. It's got Luke. It's got Leia. It's even got Boba Fett because it takes place from immediately the ending of Empire Strikes Back to about a month or two before Return of the Jedi. And they are basically chasing after trying to get Han Solo from Boba Fett. And they even go to Coruscant and they introduce this alien character called Prince Zizor who is um, competing for Palpatine's affections. He's sort of like a warlord. He's not He's not Imperial, like, Navy or anything. Um, he's from he's a, a gangster. Called the, yeah, he's a gangster. He's from the Feline. He runs this um, criminal empire called Black Sun, and he. I guess you could say, could say he even competes with the Huts as far as, like, criminal reach, right? Criminal enterprise. Uh, but with but with respectability, he's he's sort of like the... Um, uh, he's the Escobar of, of the criminal world. Like, he's... He he's got he had public like Escobar when he was a senator for I don't know how long come a few months before he got kicked out. <laughs> you guys know that that Escobar was, I, was a politician. No, I, I yeah, I yeah. didn't realize yeah. that. Yeah. Like, he wasn't a senator, but whatever whatever their uh, House of Commons is basically. But yeah. So, anyways, I'm gonna I'm gonna stay quiet now. Um, I'm 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 gonna say this uh, out loud, and then I'm gonna let Phil chop my head off. I thought it was a total bust. This this marketing effort, Phil. Thank you. All right. No, it's it's I think it's a it's an interesting perspective because I was younger at the time. So for me, like Shadows of the Empire was pretty much everything. Like I I love that game so much. I loved everything about it. Just the, the the gameplay could have been better, but it's, I think that's more of like a retrospective look at it because. N64 games just don't hold up. It's just kind of the nature of how they are. But the the, the story was great. Uh, the music was fantastic on the game. And just just everything about it really like just captivated me so much. And I just love Dash Rendar. He was just Han Solo 2.0. He's just a stand-in until they can get Han Solo back, basically. Uh, even his ship even, was his ship was better. Technically, remember the oh, uh, yeah his, the Outrider. What, what, what's the Millennium Falcon actually called? Like by like, Karelia, like it's, it's an XY one three YT YT thirteen hundred or YT twenty four. YT right. So Dash Rendar's is a YT two four zero zero. Yeah. So it's a much newer, better bulk freighter. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, and then you re- you replace Chewbacca with a robot. You replace so you get Lebo instead. It's just like I don't know. There's just there's just something interesting. Oh, about Guri! It. Don't forget Guri. Ooh, Guri. <laughs> but overall, I th- I thought it was a fantastic. Like, cause I didn't I didn't obviously like you're you're more into the comic the comics of it. But like for me, it was like it was strictly game. Shadows of the Empire was strictly the video game. Anything around it did not exist for me at the time. Um, so it's just like, I was, I was just so, so when you said it was a bust, I was, I was really surprised because for me, it's like, I feel like everyone that's my age. So that's, you know, like born around like the really early nineties, we're talking like 90, 91, et cetera, or even like the late nineties who grew up, let's say playing N64, even not like just going to a friend's house to play it. For example, Shadows of the Empire seems to hold like a pretty, pretty special place in their in their core memories it's like goldeneye shadows of the empire mario kart you know what i mean it's like by chance phil did you play x-wing rogue squadron on n64 much oh it's yeah i mean it's it's a fantastic game it's okay but 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 that came out 99 yes yes that's what it was it was on it was on is at the tail end it it came out later uh in the n64 lexicon so I'm not yeah, saying you needed like, the expansion I, board basically. Exactly the expansion pack, which actually allowed them to use more memory, so the graphics were smoother. It could play at slightly higher FPS. So you're right; it's yeah. like at the tail end of the platform, so the game looks better. It's, it's still sort of the same 64 oh, yeah. bits. Yeah, for yeah. sure. But so you yeah, actually so bring reason... up an interesting. You bring up an interesting point where you're saying like your exposure to this part of this Star Wars phenomena shadows of the empire was around the video game and you're absolutely right i i had the hard the the hardback a hardcover novel and i also have all six issues of shadows of the empire and shadows of the empire evolution which was which was the follow-up and uh, i guess i just sort of saw it as a bust because this is the last part of my talking notes this i thought was sort of a holdover to get people excited for star wars when no no star wars movie was coming sure enough a full year later, the special editions show up in theaters. Yeah, exactly. So like yeah. I say, there is actually a grand plan to everything. These evil guys in their vision board at Lucasfilm, man, they're being <laughs> naughty. <laughs> they were just they were just dangling the carrot out in front of us. Because what happens, 97 through 98, you got three movies that brings in hundreds of millions of dollars, which is like unheard of. Like this is of Titanic. So movies to be making this kind of money on a freaking rerun, a re-release of a movie? Yeah. That's unheard of. Other other than E.T. E.T. came into theaters a lot. I actually saw E.T. in theaters. And E.T. came out in 82 and I'm born in 83. So you're like, how'd that happen? It came yeah, back that, into theaters. That was kind of like in the era of like the rehype. Like they're like during the, the, the dark Absolutely. the dark times. The, this is like Shadows of the Empire for me like started the rehype of like the whole of, of pretty much the whole the whole franchise really. And then that's kind of when it when it took off. And to me, it's like, especially when, I mean, let's get like too into the video game, but like just the first level is probably like the best way they could have ever started that video game. Just being on Hoth and, and, and flying the speeder. It was just, it was so special. And it, it felt like the movie, you know what I mean? Like you, you were like, you could really feel that you were in between or at least like kind of in between um, the two, the two movies. And, you know, you're kind of going at it. And I don't know, it's just, yeah. 
So as when you're saying it was a bus, I, I can kind of understand from that perspective that you were talking about earlier. Yeah, I'm not trying to trash like the story or the individual products. I think I'm talking more, I'm sort of talking more of a cynical, like, you know, 40 year old adult who works in the yeah. film and television industry that like, if I was a marketer, if I was a madman working on Madison, I'd be like, Ooh, that was a lot of money. And we did not get our return. Yeah, exactly. Like you're, you're, you're investing so much on, on hoping for a return. Like I, they I, did. They, remember this is, this meeting's happening in 95. They are sky high right now. Nothing can touch them. They are, they yeah. are the best. They, they've 90, got all 95. this IP making money. Well, yeah. Shell's Empire came out May 96. This meeting happened in 95. They had a lot of prep work they had to do. They had, they had to have a novel yeah. written. They had to have the, uh, the video video games take a long time to get ready. Long, long yeah, time. Yeah, and get they, ready. they were already like they had a pretty like good, uh, good like grip on like the PC market, like on DOS and stuff. Like they had um. Yeah, the X-wing, the, 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 the Tie Fighter games, X-wing, and, then, and Dark Forces. That's yeah, that's the one. So Dark Forces, Dark Forces and Dark came Forces. out in '95, so it was probably designed yeah. in '94, maybe even '93. And then '97, I think, was Dark Forces Two. Yes, if I remember correctly. And, it, so and like, in '99, it was sort of the end of like Tie Fighter, what they had Tie Fighter Alliance yeah. or X-wing alliances. And yeah, and like the '64 coming out and being like you know console like more for like the younger generation and stuff like that for them to like really introduce a game. A Star Wars yeah, game it was the really move from PC back in. to consoles. Yeah, and then and then I think in the mid two thousands, the late aughts, that's when actually people started to move back. Yeah, to PCs. Funny enough, Cause... and now we're actually back in consoles. It goes back and forth, back and forth. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because we don't want we don't really want to talk about Super Star Wars because that's just that's just a mess. No, 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 no. <laughs> but um, yeah. So yeah, those that sort of wraps up my my talking points. Uh, I think I've sort of taken us through the '90s and the the heyday of when Star Wars was nothing and and how they became financially viable. Really, to be honest, like to create some money and interest so that George felt comfortable that he could put a movie out and people would like yeah. go see it. I mean, let's be honest, I mean, it, people it is, would have gone and seen anyways. But it is very interesting how like they they held they held over this like that whole period of time between movies just. Through like other pop culture memes, I so saw like uh, memes like like the comics and video games and toys. Obviously, were like the only thing kind of holding them up until they were doing something new. You know what I mean? So it's it's interesting that wow. when you look back at it, yeah, comics played a gigantic role, especially like in the late '80s and '90s, where co- comics were like there was they're a big thing at the time. So yes, it's just, I know what you're talking about like the zeitgeist of the actual format, like comic yeah. books are now big. This is you got to remember, this is when like the X Men animated show was on TV for like three or four years, and so now you got kids going and right. buying like Marvel X Men comics and Uncanny X Men, and then sure enough, what is it by '99, Fox has the property and the first X. X-Men movie comes out. I, I think I think that came right. out in 99, mm-hmm. if I'm correct. Something like that. Um, or 2000. You know, 2000, pre- I think, was the... 9-11. Yeah. yeah, the the first X-Men movie, I think, was 2000. The live-action one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I was off by a year. Sorry. But but I, I'm, <laughs> I'm you? close. You know, <laughs> Very yeah. close, yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, and I mean, we're, we're I'm going to go a little sideways here, but, you know, you've probably all seen the great um, web series uh, Troops with the guys who the, they're pretending to be cops, but they're stormtroopers and, they, and they're they're talking to the Jawas. Oh, yes, you know, they're yes, the Jawas. yes. They shoot the Jawas. They're like, hey, nothing happening here, nothing happening here. Like, I'm not sure when that was even produced, but I feel like that was like a 90s thing because the Internet was starting to pop up. And that was that was loaded up onto the Internet. That was never shown on TV, you know, because because it was a fan film. So where do fan films come from? They come from this resurgence of Star Wars interest. That interest all started 1991, heir to the Empire. So 
we've, we've, we've come full circle in our conversation. Crazy. Thank- <laughs> we, all, we all have to thank Timothy Zahn for reviving the Star Wars uh, IP, I, I think, honestly. I mean, he, he wrote an amazing book with a whole bunch of characters. And I, I, I feel I've blasphemed a whole bunch of listeners by not really mentioning Mara Jade a whole lot. <laughs> Mara Jade, yeah. of course, is introduced in Heir to the Empire and is probably the most fascinating for some people's Star Wars characters ever. Like yeah, better than, enough, better like than the I classics. Think, like uh, some people will say she's definitely the number one expanded universe, and people will definitely say if you really want to go like sex, like male, female, the best female character ever, ever written. Mm. It's interesting that like she like she barely shows up in anything else except for like that fighting game on PlayStation, uh, Masters of Terracost. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm pretty sure she, I'm pretty sure she's a playable character in that game. So is Jodo Cast, like which is like also weird to me that I'm pretty sure he's in that uh, that game. But it's just a, like a, a character like Mary Jane, who's like obviously has like a long history, doesn't show up into in anything else. Um, like another other any other media really that much if any at all you know what I mean yeah so I mean uh, I just want to quickly say oh sorry do you want you want to say something oh no you know you, you say what you got to say and then I got one question for you sure okay um I'm gonna like if people like want like abs best hits I'm gonna give it to you right now okay like for books um you got to read the heir to the empire trilogy you, you, you got it you got to read those three books and that's and that's all I always say like that that and maybe the first four x-wing books and then and and then, and then choose what you want. But like, those are classics. They introduce you to great characters like Wedge Antilles, you know, and Luke on his quest to become uh, a proper Jedi master and introduces Grand Admiral Thrawn. And then if, if you really love Thrawn, yeah, you can go read like the nine other novels that have been written by him that are like the mainstream novels. I'm sure he's appeared in like um, junior, junior novels and young adult novels, but uh, major novels, yeah. And then for comics, um, I would really say... Get into Dark Empire, at least Dark Empire 1, if you really want to read the whole thing. Uh, there's Dark Empire 2, and then there's this small uh, two-issued ender called Empire's End. Artwork was not very good. Storylines, eh. So, but, it, but it finishes the story up. Um, certainly the X-Wing series was fantastic. If you're more of an Empire kind of guy like me, read C- Crimson Empire. It's, it's awesome. Great artwork. Really cool storyline. And uh, if you're a, sort of a KOTR person, read uh, Tales of the Jedi. There was, not to be confused, there was a Star Wars title called Knights of the Old Republic by Dark Horse. But I think that the Tales of the Jedi is the, is the better product. Mm. Uh, that's that's my opinion. So that's that's right. my quick hits. And then video games, uh, I'm an N64 fan, so you got to play X-Wing Rogue Squadron. Space <laughs> 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 the Empire, that's fine, but I, I love uh, X-Wing Rogue Squadron, especially because oh, when, you un- when you unlock the vehicles and you get to fly as a Naboo Starfighter, that's pretty cool. But did you know you can also fly around in a Buick? What? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, actually. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. It's an old Buick from like the 50s or 60s. I I, I, th- I can't remember the model, but it's like, I, I don't even know where the joke is. It's like maybe one of the artists had one or it was like the vehicle he learned to like drive on or his grandfather like gave him a gift and he's like, all right, fine, grandpa, I'll put it in the video game. But like, it's just, that's sort of the start of video game memes, I, I think. Yeah. Easter eggs and yeah. stuff. Yeah. Interesting that the, also the uh, Rogue Squadron, I think, is it Rogue Leader for the GameCube? I can't remember if they changed name or not, but uh, I think it's just Rogue Squadron 2 for GameCube. 
is uh is a fantastic sequel to the to the N64 game. I'm sure everyone's played it or most people have played it, but I think yeah. I should point that in there. That's it's fantastic. Yeah. I, I, I'm gonna throw one Still, um, I'm gonna throw one one to the list of recommendations only because uh, uh, this is also very sort of nineties centric. Um I, although much later uh, I I read the uh, it was probably around two thousand six I think um I read or two thousand yeah two thousand six or seven um, I read through both uh, sort of collected volume republished trade paperbacks of the Young Jedi Knights series, um, and I think it was uh, Young the the Jedi Academy and Jedi Shadow or something oh. is what they were relabeled oh, as. I, I like those. Yeah, it and, was like two or three kids like at the Jedi Academy, and they sort of go off and explore different yes, worlds. Yes, it was on missions. Yes, it was Jason and uh, Jaina Solo. That. It was Jason and Jaina Solo uh, as kids yes. uh, under Luke's tutelage uh, at his Jedi Academy on Yavin 4 and uh, they had a, a Wookiee friend and uh, another uh, like she was like a princess Jedi That's and her right. name was Tenel Ka. Yes, yes. And it was like it was like 10 or 12 novels like it, it, yeah. it went for quite a while. Yeah, so I read all of um, them because like I think they divided the series I, in half. I was like already too old for them but I was like this is Star Wars I got to read it. So I yeah. read it. Like, yeah. It's like great. It, it was so good and I and I I remember loving the crap out of these books because they were so what they did is they took the whole series and they they split it in half and they republished the first half under one title and I think it was called Jedi Jedi Shadow or Jedi Academy or something. And then the second half, it was like a yellow bound paperback and it was called Jedi Sunrise or something like that. Uh, so they like the republished versions have like yeah, their own Yeah, I remember names. there were sort of two distinct arcs of those novels. Yes, yes, exactly. So, so yeah, I, like, I, that's like, my, I, that's my bone in there. Number six, there was sort of an end of an arc and then a new arc started in like the sixth or seventh book and carried yeah, through to the end. Exactly. Yeah. So those, yeah. those started coming out in June of 95, again with 95, uh, that was Ke- Kevin J. Anderson and Rebecca uh, uh, most, His most, wife? Of, most, yeah, okay, her, her. yeah, yeah, yes, so Mo- that, that, that's my two cents in there, uh, for 90s recommendations. Um, so you know, if nice. anyone cares to, cares to read those, but <laughs> I got, I got what one question. What you said, what was it, Young? Yeah, it was oh, called yeah, Young Jedi Knights, Young Jedi Knights, yeah, Star Wars Young Jedi Knights. Okay. So, um, I got, I got one question for you, and then we'll, uh, then we'll wrap up, and then, or maybe, uh, maybe Phil's got, got questions as well. But uh, the one, the one that I've, the one that I've got um, before we close, I guess, is, is, uh, uh, you know, since you've taken us through sort of the dark times and the fandom in the '90s, how Dark Horse saved the IP, so on and so forth. Uh, what was it like when you finally watched the trailer for the Phantom Menace? Oh my God. Oh man, dude. When, when Darth Maul lit up that double lightsaber, I was like, I was like, <laughs> what is this? Like, like I knew what it was. I knew I was watching Star Wars. So I was like, like it, it, nothing like that had ever been photographed before. Let's, mm. let's put it that way too. George has always been a technologist and that's what I really, really respect about him. People could say that was maybe his undoing as he started to like, like I did a lot of research for this tonight, as you can tell, and yeah. I read about like all the different versions of Star Wars, like all the special editions and the redos and the Greedo shot first or Han shot first and stuff, et cetera, et cetera. But his movie was always a display of the latest, best technology. So that meant like camera angles and stuff. That meant like showing like professional martyr, martial artists doing these flips, which Jedi should be able to do as well as Sith. So I remember, and remember, I love space battles. So when I'm seeing this Naboo starfighter taking on this giant capital ship, 
which I found out, of course, was like a Trade Federation ship, and literally blowing it to pieces. And I'm like, it's much better looking than the Death Star stuff ever was. I, I was like blown away. I mean, the trailer must have come out. Uh, it was March of 99. Early 99? Yeah. March of 99 for what? A May release? A May? Uh, did it come out in May? Uh, when May the 4th sort of started? I, I was, think it was May. Was, yeah. with, was with the prequel trilogy? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm what? Like, that's 99. I'm like 15? No, it's 99. So I'm, yeah, I'm 15. Yeah, I'm 15 years old. Uh, funny story. Uh, my mom took me out of school to go see that. To go see the like, movie. <laughs> she literally picked me up and I, I was I was in French and I hated French. <laughs> I just said <laughs> au revoir to my teacher. Wow. Like, all right, bye-bye. And I literally went and I saw it at the Oak Ridge Center Mall when it used to have a movie theater and it was a Cineplex Odeon and my parents and she took out my two younger brothers and all three of us saw the 12 o'clock showing. It was the very first show. The manager was there to greet us as we were the first ones in and oh, we man. then went and saw the three o'clock. We the, saw it twice in the first day. That's amazing. And we didn't care about Jar Jar at that point. Like we just, right. it, it didn't matter about the gaffes that he made. Yeah. It was, this was Star Wars. So Star Wars is back. Getting back yeah. to your question, I, I think I was like positively dumbfounded. I was, I had just come off of the high of seeing Star Wars in theaters for the first time for me via the special editions. And I saw it with a really good friend of mine who I'm still friendly with. And we were Star Wars fans geeking out all throughout uh, grade six and seven. Yeah. Uh, so it, it was, yeah, it was amazing to see new Star Wars products. Yeah, it was, so, it was untold. Right. It was great. Right. Do you remember how you watched the original trailer? Because, you know, back then, this is this is around the time that not everyone had access to the internet, okay. although it was out. Yes, yes, I do. So I think I need to remember what kind of movies came out in 98. Um, did Gladiator come out in 98 or 99? Oh, I don't know. Because I, that was I remember... That I'm pretty sure. Or is that... Okay, shoot. So I'm trying to think of like... I, I, like I work in the film industry and I always tell people, look, I don't know anything about music. I'm uh. not an audiophile. <laughs> but I'm a, definitely a videophile. I go to the movie theaters all the time. I love patroning the movie theater. Um, Bugs so Life. Bugs any Life Any movie that was big... Yeah, I didn't see Bugs Life. But like, yeah, I remember going and seeing it. And I think it was like... It, it, the Lucasfilm thing came up. And it had that weird, creepy music. It was like, it was like, it was like you almost felt you were on an alien planet. And I think it was like the end, the end attack where the droidicas are coming at you. That was how the first trailer oh, sort of yeah. started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, let me, let me, let me play uh, some audio for you real quick because I think this is, uh, I think this is, is, is this it? I wonder. This is, uh, is when the Gungans are walking through the woods, right? Is that the, the first, the first teaser? Yeah. Yeah. Is. Okay. Let's, let's take a quick listen yes. to this. Okay, it's playing. Get the Lucasfilm logo. Yeah, there's the yeah, you feel like you're in a swamp and you're like right, every generation has a legend. There's the theme song. You got the, the text on screen, every generation has a legend, you got the shot of the, the Naboo ship. Every journey has a first step. And you get a picture of Feed and uh, the Queen by the window. And then it says every saga has a beginning. Well, that's right. She's standing by herself. She's to you refer to the prophecy of the one who will bring balance to the force. You believe it's this boy? He can see things before they happen. He can help you. The force is unusually strong with him. He was meant to help you. Anakin! Tell him to take off! If I ever see you again? What does your heart tell you? Are you sure about this? 
Trusting our fate to a boy we hardly know. Anakin Skywalker, meet Obi-Wan Kenobi. I sense much fear in you. The boy is dangerous. They all sense it. Why can't you? Fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. <laughs> doesn't that get you excited <laughs> yeah and, and i love yoda's line that that stuck with me like for years and years and years because i had already seen empire strikes back by this point people go what do you mean of course it had been out for years but you got to remember i probably didn't see empire strikes back till like 93 yeah. like until i was old enough to to understand because it's a it's a dark movie it's a really dark yeah. movie yeah and i remember his line he's like i'm not afraid and then yoda goes you know you will be yeah and so when 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 he says like you know hate anger leads to hate and hate will lead to suffering you're like okay you should listen to what he's saying because this is the sage (laughs) this is the man who's who's lived through it all yeah crazy i I think i was just excited to see yoda i'm like wow this is like this is a younger yoda that trailer is really designed for all this i was watching oh go for it phil oh i was saying i was watching the trailer while you were while you were playing i kind of synced myself up to it uh, seeing seeing young Yoda is kind of jarring, not to be honest. Like, cause <laughs> I guess I'm just so used to seeing him in CGI. I'm either I either see the old puppet or like younger CGI. But to see like younger puppet, and like I'm using young as like you know heavily yeah. here, but like young young puppet is is kind of it's interesting. It's I kind of forgot about it for some reason. Well, yeah. at least it was a puppet. There was only two shots that he redid with CGI in the first movie for the re-release for the the 2004 DVD release. But then of course all of episode two and three he's CGI. Yeah, uh, yeah. Which you know is unfortunate. I understand why it gave him as the director the artistic freedom to have him move in ways that the puppet could not especially the fighting like when he's fighting Dooku he can flip up he can do those those backflips that these Jedi's are, are famous for mm-hmm. that they, they have that mobility so yeah. uh, it's it's crazy that watching that teaser trailer uh, and on the podcast we actually did a dedicated episode to watching all the first teaser trailers for all the Star Wars movies which was kind of interesting um, but that one really is like after oh. talking to you, after talking to you about the 90s and the, the the dark times, it is really catered for all those fans that were just just longing to see Star Wars movies again. You know, you get Yoda, you get uh, you get the mention of Anakin's name, you get his introduction to Obi-Wan Kenobi. You know, you got so much stuff going on all in this one trailer. You get the double blade lightsaber, this close up shot of Darth Maul, this like evil villain that like everyone's just psyched to see. You know, it, just so much stuff all happening in this one teaser trailer that's like two minutes long. And, you know, it doesn't reveal anything yeah. about the actual plot of the movie. It's just psyching you up nope. that this is the next Star Wars movie, you know? Yeah. And I can't imagine what it would have been like to have seen trailer for Empire Strikes Back or Return of the Jedi. Like, I, I, I've i never actually seen them. I've, 
I've never, I've never, I probably should do it when we're done this podcast. I've never actually bothered to go back to the archives and find, find it and see what it would have looked like to be in a theater in early or late 79, early 80 to see what the Empire Strikes Back trailer would have would have been yeah yeah it's 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 pretty interesting i think some of them are actually on the um, some of them are on the official star wars youtube channel but uh, others uh, i think are accessible just on youtube we did we did manage to find all of them i think on youtube uh when we did that episode so yeah yeah if you're... I, I think we've talked about this in the past so we don't need to to go into it because we're sticking to the 90s but i think i've i've you all know that my favorite movie is rogue one and when when that trailer came out, uh, by this point, of course, I'm working in the film industry professionally, and mm. I have access to all these monitors. I played it through my monitors, and I put it out to the entire movie set with audio. So all 200 people were watching this Star Wars trailer <laughs> with loud music playing and like the director loved it so much he's like okay we're gonna take a five minute break like a five minute break on a film set can be costly that's thousands of dollars you're just not doing any work uh but the the love for star wars was so universally loved by that crew that the director was like all right we all have to sit down and watch this so adam play it (laughs) oh man that's Um, that's awesome yeah there's something culturally uh impactful and uniting about star wars there is i think we can agree on that absolutely uh, yeah absolutely uh right well phil you got any last questions or uh are we good to wrap it up here no i think this this is awesome this is great to like have your perspective on it because like i said like you you're at the time we're like like for me, I was I was too young to get into the comics that much, and then you were like at the perfect time to get that hit that sweet spot where you can grow up with it. So it's it's interesting to hear your perspective, and that was really fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah Adam, thank from you. Like eight to eight to sixteen made a made a big impression on me, and like you say, it, it sort of is timing. And I'd be curious to see if my kids how they feel in ten years if if they even want to watch the movies, uh, if they were if they would in, be interested in reading older material or they just want to read what what's new, what's what they're what they're told. To to read what they think is supposed to be star wars because that's what disney tells them it is now <laughs> yeah exactly yeah no that's uh it's 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 crazy to think that this mythology has grown to the size that it is with all these different levels of continuity uh from different points in history and you know it's it's fascinating to think just sort of what this series could look like you know in another 40 years you know we celebrated the 40th anniversary of star wars uh you know only a couple years ago it seems like at 2017 orlando uh convention and yeah you know it's it's unreal to think like wow like i'll be there you know maybe you'll be there like at the at the 80th celebration of star wars and you know just to see kind of what what's come next and and you know what's been done with this series uh sort of down the road right um unbelievable to think that that this is celebrated so much i also think it's i also think it's interesting um, if you look at the the directors of the Star Wars movies, and you go, what, do you, what does he mean? I'm talking about episodes seven, eight, nine, which of course was was J.J. Abrams and Ron Howard um, to to a lesser degree. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all sort of Gen Xers, yeah. So they grew up with Star Wars, seeing it in theaters. J.J. Uh, to a lesser degree, he's he's a, l- a little younger than, than Ron, but um, like they were around for this these dark times as as mature adults, as like probably like twenty year olds. So it's interesting. They obviously had to listen to what Disney wanted, but there, I, I would like to think that there is hope that maybe the people who have the power, because it's always age, right? When you're older, you get more power because you're working, that maybe some of these older properties will get will get visualized. Mm-hmm. Well, I, mean, that, I mean, like turn into a TV product or a movie, but uh, I, I suspect not. I think the younger generation will then move into those earning years where they have the power, where they become the executives at Disney, who of course have the IP and, and they'll make Star Wars the, the way they want to see it. So... 
Yeah. I, I just want to thank you guys very much for uh, for inviting me on and, and letting me talk about the '90s. Uh, oh man, it was, uh, Adam, thank you so much for it was all. A cultural, it was a cultural zeitgeist. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, thank you so much for all your your hard hard work, your research. I mean, also just your your experiences. You know, sharing uh, about your, the time growing up with all those comic books and uh, Shadows of the Empire and so so many other things. I mean, it's it's really. Uh, it's quite it's it's a different um, type of authenticity, you know, hearing it from someone who's kind of been there, right? So uh, I really appreciate oh, it. Thanks. Yeah, and uh, and yeah. to you and to you as no, well. No, no problem. Hopefully, hopefully, um, some of the titles I have said for your listeners who aren't familiar with them, maybe I have piqued their interest and they will go uh, look at them. You know, I, uh, I I hope that I can renew some interest in older products. You know, like. You know, I'm, no, I'm not like a paid uh, if, um, promoter for Timothy's on or anything. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm not making any money off that. I just, I'm just, a, I'm just a fan, and you know, I want to see this, these stories being cherished by people that like Star Wars, even though I know that it's, it's sort of an, an old product that's been put to bed. But uh, hopefully, uh, you know, I, I think like without you know torrenting and stealing artists' work, I, I'd like to think that maybe these old comics can be found in a library or something like in a trade paperback. So yeah, and, and novels for sure you can find in library. So I hope I have renewed some interest in uh, earlier expanded universe, star Wars products for, for people to enjoy. Oh, I, I, I hope so. Yeah, I hope so. It's, it's good stuff. Uh, and, and also thank you to you, Phil, for, for jumping on and joining this conversation. I really appreciate it. First sure, absolutely anytime that I'm free. Got some, uh, got some dash in there. I'm just happy I got dash in there. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. See you guys. All right. Thank you. All right. And a big thank you to our audiences for uh, tuning in. We appreciate all those kind reviews. We'll see you in the next episode of Star Wars Escape Pod. And may the force be with you.